Blog Talk Radio. The Net Live is brought to you by the Spire Institute, integrating sports and education, training and learning, performance and competition like no place on earth. SpireInstitute.org. Now, on with the show. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year, I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. Peter. There's no better angle for sure uh, than the one from behind. Reed. All this travel and plane and priorities been really getting in the way of our relationship. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's the Net Live right now. A wonderful job on that open, DJ Ruscha. Only the second time I've actually heard it. Feels good. I, I like that one a lot, especially Geeter. It's no better than position than from behind. Did you listen to that show when he made that comment? <laughs> you know what? I probably fell asleep to that show over in London. I was listening to the programs, and uh, actually one of the things I want to talk about, remind me later, is uh, Jay Hasek and his thoughts on people giving up money, like Matt Kemp giving a million dollars to volleyball. So let's let's circle back to that. But welcome into the NetLive, very special edition. This a Monday evening of the NetLive. And if you're on the East Coast, this is a Monday late night. After hours. This is like Jimmy Kimmel or maybe Craig, what's his face? Sager? No. No, he's the TNT announcer, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's the guy with the suits. Met him over in London. Yes. Yes. But uh, Craig, I can't remember his last name, actor from Scotland or Ireland or something. Was a late night show on CBS, Now I want to say Kilbourne, but I don't think that's right. Yeah, it used to be Craig Kilbourne years ago. Anyway, late night program for those on the East Coast. Ferguson. Ferguson, Craig Ferguson. Dude, the chat board, way to be on it. Way to be on it and way to be on the chat board here late at night. We hope you're getting a chance to tune into this program right now or get it via iTunes. We love that you guys have been picking up the steam, picking up the conversation on Facebook, facebook.com slash the net live and twitter.com slash the net live. Also the emails, the net live at gmail.com. Your efforts are much appreciated. We love getting emails about the program, good, bad, or otherwise. And if you got called the troll last week, Hey, Feel good about it. That generated a little bit of uh, movement, huh? I like when people get upset about it. It's the ones that get upset maybe you are a troll. You weren't calling everybody who disagreed with you a troll. You were calling the people who are trolls trolls. There's a difference. Yeah, you can disagree with me and not be a troll. Yeah. But you can disagree with me and probably you're a troll. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Let's give you a preview of what we're going to be talking about on the program tonight. We have some good... Good discussions. Reed Pretty is going to be joining us here in just a little bit. He'll be pulling up to the home court. We'll talk about national team head coaches. We had previewed that topic last week. We will, in fact, get to it this week. Who should be the next national team head coach for women, national team head coach for men? Both jobs wide open. Let's talk about Crop Pavlik. We'll do that. Crop and Pavlik take down their second Manhattan Beach Open, and they've won every Cuervo this year, Correct. I should know this, but I'd have to look it up. I believe they've won every time. Except for the Milwaukee shootout. Oh, except for the, the, the special one-off event. Fatma Sweat won that. Okay, but they've won all the regular tour stops. And in fact, in this one, 
pretty much dominated everybody. So we want to talk about our crop and Pavlik. Are they the next big thing? We'll have that discussion. Also, prize money issues. Lots of prize money issues all around the world of beach volleyball. People reacting in different ways. We will talk about that. And call-ins, man, whatever you want to talk about. You want to call the show, we're going to get DJR to keep watching the switchboard here because he's in the big boy chair with all the equipment, including the wires that he can't figure out where they go right now. Stepping on him. He will, he will watch that. And if you want to call in, we will take your call. We'll stop the show. We'll get to it. We want to hear from you. 347-677-1525. You're not at work. No excuses. You're going to get fired or your boss hates you. This is not office space. Okay? Call in the show. Throw something at us. Maybe we haven't thought of. We're in our own little thought bubble here. So I think it's going to get weird at this late night. Like, are weird things going to happen? Well, you're awake, first of all. Well, no doubt. It's the most awake I've ever been for any of our shows. You came in without sunglasses on, and I'm not sure if that's because (laughs) the sun had actually gone down or because you were actually awake. Both. Okay. Yeah, these are DJ hours that we're solidly in the middle of right now. Like, you're just cranking up, right, to get ready for the next four hours. I'm my peak. Well, Well, nine hours. Nine hours. <laughs> I'm thinking it's later than it is right now. Three four seven six seven seven fifteen twenty five is the number. Hey, this past week hosted my first ever studio program. Was that college fo- uh, football? College, uh, I mean high school. High school football here on Fox, Fox Sports West. So the Fox Sports affiliate here uh, in Los Angeles, and done up like real. Like a real program, graphics, features, the whole deal. It's not, you know, me and some cameraman out at a game on the local cable access <laughs> network. Okay, this is holding like Fox your, Sports Net. Holding your GoPro in front of you. Exactly. Fox Sports West and Fox Sports Net working together and Prime Ticket. They, said, they tell me that that still exists. So I come in, never hosted a program before, not sure what the producers had been told or hadn't been told about me. <laughs> And we're going through a rundown, and man, there's a lot of stuff on the paper. That's what I'm thinking. There's a lot of stuff on this paper. I'm just trying to pick out what I need. Because how many games do you have to be involved with during the studio show? Well, there's two parts of it. Half-hour program leading into the game of the week that's on Fox Sports West. It's a half-hour live show. Live. Not live to tape. Live. That leads in. We're doing all kinds of preview. In this one, it was a preview. It was kind of week zero. Nobody had played yet. Previews, reviews, look ahead to what's coming, talk about the upcoming season from different players. Then we switch over immediately, and we go to the prep zone. Prep zone is live on the Internet every Friday, but it is four games streaming at the same time, and we're hopping around between them like NFL Red Zone. So I'm the host of that along with a guy by the name of Scott Kennedy, who is the prep football expert had you met him before, or was this your first time? Just a couple of times. Yep. I had never rehearsed the studio program. Rehearsed the prep zone. Prep zone's pretty easy. That, that, I got that one handled. Threw to the wrong thing a couple of times. Whatever. The live half-hour show. We got through it. I hit the marks. But, man, I was a little edgy. I wouldn't say nervous. I would say uncomfortable, for sure. Now, is that because you've never done it before, didn't know what to expect? Yes. Gotcha. No idea what the format had in uh, in for me. No idea how the producers actually want to run the show, how much they're going to talk to me, when we're going to move on, so on and so forth. But I got through it. Saw my boss, Tom Fuhrer, on Saturday. He said, 
Good job. I said, yeah, I didn't feel that comfortable. He said, you didn't look that comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you'll just get better. It came across as I thought it would, I guess. Yeah, perfect. So I've since watched it. I found it on the Internet and watched it. And, yeah, i got to bring a little more energy because I was just kind of preoccupied with where we were going to get next. So i got to bring the energy. Yeah. got to bring the fire, just the fun. Like, hey, it's high school football. It's kind of fun. We're in the studio. We're goofing around. We've got four games coming up. But it'll get better. It was it was a great learning experience. I look forward to next week when I'm more comfortable and ready to roll. Well, that's good that you're not in a full panic about the second time you're looking forward to doing it. That's a good sign. Oh, yeah. I was looking forward to it before with a little trepidation. <laughs> So fun stuff for me, character growth, career growth for me for sure, doing an actual studio program, which is a way different beast than play-by-play. Look, I could switch over to play-by-play volleyball, no problem. Yeah. Do volleyball in my sleep. Yep. Switch over to a studio host out of, you know, I host this program, but this is way different than being on camera and being completely out of my depth with a sport that I don't know back and forth, you know, front to back. Are you telling me your flag football experience didn't get you prepared for this? Oh, don't think I didn't bring it up. But here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. People forget whether you coach flag football or the NFL, whether you coach club volleyball or the national team, really, you're saying the same things, or you ought to be saying the same things. It shouldn't be that different. There's a degree, obviously, yeah, and a specificity to what you're saying as you get older. But really, the core things of what are we trying to do here should be taught the whole time. I teach my flag football team stuff that I've gleaned from Marv, Doug, Hugh, those guys. Of course. One in particular that sticks with me that I wish as a kid I had, I guess, interpreted more. I did it because I brought it every day in practice, but it wasn't because I really thought about this ideal. Yeah. The ideal is this. You ask a kid, what's the goal? I asked my kids this second practice, flag football on Sunday night. What's the goal this season? A couple kids piped up, Super Bowl! No, that's not the goal. Every year, beginning of the year, they ask guys who play baseball, what's the goal this year? Well, obviously the World Series. No, wrong. <laughs> wrong. Major leaguer, wrong. If you asked half a dozen volleyball players in college right now, women's starting up this week. Oh, we will have College Volleyball Weekly, by the way. Mike Sondheimer, 9-15. If you ask a handful of those players, what's the goal this year? They'll tell you, oh, make the tournament, oh, Elite Eight, uh, Sweet 16, Final Four, National Championship, whatever. They will tell you one of those goals. Yeah. Wrong. Not the goal. What do you think the goal is? My goal would always be to improve and have fun. I like the first one. You need the second one. Not only to improve, yep. but to play to your potential each time out. Okay. And obviously, if you're improving, your potential goes up. And each time you perform, you perform to your potential, your win goes up. Yep. Your, or your opportunity to win goes up. And that was one of the things when you really parse it out when I was talking to Hugh. He says, look, we're trying to be the best team in the world. If we're the best team in the world, we'll win a gold medal or Come have play. a shot at it. Yes. The more accurate thing is have a shot at it. Did he ever say this? Oh, my volume is down. That was going to be so good. <laughs> Dang it. Continue. Yes. So 
that is the goal. And that's when you're talking about talking to kids in flag football or you're talking to guys on the national team. The goal is not to win a specific game. The goal is to go out and play to your potential every day. And that includes practice. The only way you can actually do it in a game is to go out and do it in practice. So I don't think there's a big difference or there shouldn't be a big difference in coaching eight-year-olds and 28-year-olds in overall ideal. Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to bring up flag football. Of course you are. (laughs) And tell them how you dominated. I've been to the Super Bowl twice. And then tell them this. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. (laughs) (laughs) After all that, and then you say that, and it just goes right out the window. Well, you know, sometimes there are indefensible quotes on this program. (laughs) Bottom line is if you're going to be on air and you're going to talk as much as I do, you're going to say something that doesn't make any sense. That's what I find entertaining, too, when people like get so mad about one little thing that somebody has said on air or been recorded saying. It's like, look, if you if that's what you do for a living, you're going to mess up every once in a while. Right. It's one thing not knowing the sport that you're talking about or not knowing what you're talking about on air. Saying somebody's name a little bit wrong or saying the incorrect word at the wrong time. I mean, that stuff's going to happen. Right. You don't want it to happen. The yeah, idea is to have it not happen. Of course, but it's going to. I mean, just if everybody was perfect in their job every day, do you think that would, you know... What certain people do at their cubicle every day is not in front of thousands, millions of people, so people don't see their mistakes. You know, one like, little mistake, everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, Kevin, you said his name wrong," and then they're gonna run into the stands and yell at you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Way to weave that all together. Nicely done. Been setting that up since last week. Yep. Nice little bird on your shirt there. Thank you. It's my logo. Oh my goodness. Let's talk about these national teams. Okay. Actually, you know what? I don't want to talk about the national teams yet. Okay. I want to hear about your weekend. Fabulous weekend. Manhattan Open. Yep. Beautiful weather. Beautiful. Couldn't have had better weather. Not too hot. Not too cold. Per- Just right. Perfect for me on the stage because I usually get the breeze. Yeah. Until the stadium was packed this weekend. When the stadium got packed, I got no breeze. The flags were waving. Everybody looked good, except for cooking. me, and all of a sudden, I'm like, "What's happening? this is wrong. Sun's <laughs> baking on me about 3 in the afternoon. Uh, but no, it was a great event this weekend. The fans came out in full force. I mean, it was packed. There was a you know big stadium in Manhattan. Bleachers on the pier looked great. And um, Whole fan zone. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the issue, not issue, but one of the things, I don't get to really walk around the event, because once I start Saturday morning to Sunday evening, I'm basically in the DJ booth on the stage the entire time, so I don't get to walk around. And people ask me about matches, and I'm like, that match wasn't on the stadium court, so I have no idea, like who was serving who, how come they got into a fight, what fans were saying what. I have no idea. There was a fight. No, but it, okay. it's, it's happened in the past. But uh, it was a great event. Uh, both teams that won, Sean and John, and Jenny Crop and Whitney Pavlik, are back to back Manhattan Beach champions. Which is pretty impressive. Congratulations no to those doubt. four players. And I'll tell you what, before we get to the women, Sean and John, the way they played, they could have beaten any team in the world. They were... They have beaten any team in the world, right? You know right? what? True that. But they would have done it yesterday for sure. I mean, they were they were just locked in. Um, they could really... John was all over the place. I mean, Casey Patterson had some cut shots on the one-foot line, and all of a sudden, Hyden's there popping it up perfectly... For Sean to set him, and then Hyden's one of the best side-out players in the world and putting it away. Deceptively efficient. 100%. You know, John doesn't have the greatest arm. 
He doesn't have the greatest body. He doesn't have the greatest jump. He doesn't have... He's got the hairiest legs. He might argue with you about the body, but continue. No, I'm saying the greatest. Like, you don't... John does not look like a pile of garbage. John looks like a volleyball player, yeah, yeah, but he I'm doesn't look like an Adonis. Gotcha, I'm with you. You know, but John, and this is the same way indoor, he is just an efficient, good volleyball player. Yep. He makes plays. He controls the ball. He is just a good player. And it looked like to me that Casey Patterson was pressing a little bit because I felt like he felt like he needed to win it for his team. Ryan's still learning the game. You can see that. Yeah. Um, just little minor things. Like I think Casey pressed maybe just a tad. There were some balls that were right down the middle. That's like he Casey should be calling everything. I should be hearing him speak the entire time, or I would think I would should be hearing him speak the entire time since Ryan's still learning the game. I don't know how their dynamic is. I I don't know how they uh, go about into a match, but uh, I just felt like he was pressing a little bit. But Sean, like I said, Sean and John. I mean, Sean and John beat them. They didn't beat themselves. So okay, Sean and John are the argument for trials. They are the embodiment of the argument for trials. Don't travel at 5EB. Defeated Furbringer and Lucena. Mm-hmm. Have routinely defeated Phil and Todd. The only team to do so over the last couple of years. For sure. Domestically, anyway. Absolutely. I, I mean, do, uh, do we even need to argue about trials anymore? They just need to happen. And uh, they're going to happen. If yeah. I have anything to do with it. Yeah, and anybody who says otherwise is a troll. So, yeah. <laughs> that debate's over. Yeah, done. Trials. In. But Sean and John, I'm not going to make it another four years. I just don't see how those guys in four years could still be this good. No. Is it possible? I mean, they're both going to be over 40, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, they'll always be good volleyball players. Whether they want to do that grind for another four years, I don't see that. What they don't have, though, is that international grind the last four years like some of the other players do. I don't know if that would work into their favor. But, I mean, it's a grind. I mean, they both have families, kids. They'd have to play at least, I think, a year and a half for whatever trials process that's going to come about. You're going to need a certain amount of FIVB time. You're going to have to, just to get enough practice and enough matches, I think you're going to have to play FIVB because there just won't be enough volleyball here. Well, even so, and I've always said it, like, you, I would want to play the international teams that I'm going to play Absolutely. in the Olympics. Absolutely. You want tape, you want experience, you want of course. actual and it's a different, scouting. It's a different ball. Yeah, true. I still think they could have gone to the Olympics. If there was a trial process, if there was a trials, mm-hmm. everyone's healthy, take out all the yeah. Phil, Todd, Mass, everything else, uh, they had a chance to beat everybody. And if there were trials, given that Phil was hurt, I think they would have gone or would have had a chance yeah. against uh, Matt and Nick. Yeah. Would have had a good shot. Look, By sure. the way, Matt, he's in good shape too. Burby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's he, 39? 38? I think 38. Yeah, my age, 38. Looks good. I'm sitting here with ice on my knee. Furby's out there siding out. Siding out. Good for him. Yep. <laughs> yeah, look, Sean and John are one of the best teams in the world, by you know, hands down. I don't care what anybody says, whether how much they're playing international or not. They're one of the best teams, and all the domestic teams would say that. No doubt about it. There was lots of talk of you know people saying that Casey Patterson, Ryan Doherty, they're like, oh, that's the 2016 Olympic team. Which, sure, it's possible, but my thing is, once Ryan knows the game more, what if Rosie calls you? What if Phil calls you? What if Phil calls Casey? That's Yeah, of course. I mean, those kind of things can happen. We, but We talked to Casey about that. I think that's the one phone call that he would take. Of course. And Ryan knows that. 
I would take Phil's phone call. You better work on your high spatchy. Phil and I could get a thirteenth. <laughs> is this is this sort of like Ditka? Phil and I could get a thirteenth. <laughs> is this like what what about what about Phil versus a hurricane? Well, yeah, exactly. Is it Hurricane Phil? <laughs> that, this is the question. This is what's happening right now. You're saying, yeah. okay. We're sitting around. We may as well be going. Da, thin beast. I always wanted Carrie and Misty to play Geeter and I, but spot us like 14 points. This was an interesting discussion going on on Volley Talk. I saw somewhere they were talking about what level of men's team could defeat the best women's team. Indoor? I think it was a beach discussion. It was okay. about triple A or double A. They were down as far as double A men's could defeat the best women's beach volleyball team. The question is what net? Yeah, yeah. I know. No, no, no. I'm just thinking, I mean, Karen and Misty are really good. Yeah. I'm, not, think saying, about I'm two, not saying they're going to beat Phil and Todd. Okay, think about two six six guys. No, I agree. That's the thing. Carrie, as good as she is at the net hitting, Misty, as good as she is at the net hitting, yep. no one's over the net like any six six reasonable volleyball player is going to be. Mm-mm. Not even close. Just to hit by the person is going to be horrendous. Yeah. And yeah, you could hit it, but it's going to be a loop shot. It's going to get picked up, and then you're going to have a ball coming back a lot faster than you ever thought possible. This goes back to the old... Billy Jean King and well, oh, what the heck was his name? It jumped out of my head. But the old challenge match they had. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see it. Well, we had done stuff like that in Vegas. It was like Holly McPeak and EY played like Matt Gage when Matt was like sixty-five. Now he's like seventy-five. <laughs> and another, you know, and it it was entertaining. It Bobby was Riggs, fun. by the way, Bobby Riggs. Nice. I don't know if the chat board got it, but Bobby Riggs was the answer to the question. Gotcha. Um, it would be interesting. It will be interesting. It's yeah. good It's good fodder. Of course. I've been having a conversation lately, or just talking about it, just to see what people say to me. Uh, who is better, Carrie or Misty? Good question. I can't answer that question. It's the same as asking who's better, Phil or Todd. Same dynamic. I would say Phil, though. And I would, I would also say Phil. Yeah, but I, I, can't, I don't know the answer to Carrie or Misty. I don't know the answer to Carrie Misty either because I think the the similarity is closer. Meaning Misty and Carrie are closer to one another than Phil and Todd are to each other because of the physicality of Phil. And anytime you're talking about a bigger male player versus a smaller male player, I think the differentiation in ability is larger than the big woman versus the smaller woman. Gotcha. I'm with you. I just think what Carrie Misty both do... I just don't know how you would say who's better than the other one. Carrie's taller. She may change the game a little bit more. Yeah. But Misty's, I mean, she's so good on defense. I, I just, I don't, I don't. She's so good on defense. She makes it look like Carrie changed the game more than she did. I, could, I would buy that. Right? I yeah. mean, because she digs stuff nobody else would. Yeah. And so you wouldn't have that, oh, Carrie just takes up all that space and it and it gets dug up. You wouldn't have that because the range of the defensive player would be much smaller if it weren't Misty back there. That's true. Very so true. Total symbiosis. Yeah. So that's what I mean. I'm telling you, I have I can't answer that question. I mean, I think each one of them would say the other one's better, but I, I just I can't. That's a good partnership yep. right there, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> 
what I said about uh, Ryan Darty a few few matches back. He started two sound bits, I think, in two different weeks. When they asked him about the partnership, he just said, I love my partner. That's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. In that, in that relationship, that is a good place to start. Yep. And I'll say this. Since I didn't see him in Baltimore, but the uh, first Cuervo event this year in Fort Lauderdale that they won, and then seeing him now, even though they didn't win this weekend, he has gotten better each time I've seen him. Oh, certainly. Certainly. We will be doing the men's finals on Thursday. So I get to see him again. Awesome. But he was, by Chicago, substantially better yeah, and than he had been in previous events. And I say this with no malice. He still doesn't know the game yet. No, he doesn't. No. Destiny Hooker doesn't know the game yet. Like we had this discussion last week. You yeah. Look at what Destiny Hooker did in, in the Olympics and go, man, there are some balls there she hit that are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is she is not a great volleyball player. Gotcha. She is a world-class sick athlete, but not a great volleyball player. She will become a great volleyball player. Because there's a lot more to being a great volleyball player than making some gnarly swing. Yeah. But, now, I would have disagreed with that at age 23, but whatever. Yeah. But both of them you would want on your team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's both have massive potential still. Even, I mean, even at his age, Ryan's age, was 28, something like that. I think so. Yeah, 28. Beach volleyball, he's got another nine good years in him at least. Look at where Hyden and Furbringer and those guys are. Uh, assuming that he keeps the the beach lifestyle and not isn't over repping and his yeah. body kind of hangs in there and elbow and everything else, you don't never know with the pitching and stuff what kind of wear and tear there was on him early on. Yeah, but assuming he hangs in there, he's got nine ten years of of good development and you can't teach seven two. You can't. I mean, and he's just really hitting that age in beach volleyball like he's peaking. This is that peak age. Like all the players I noticed, like around that. Mid like later side of the twenties, they start to really like the games. You can tell it just slows down a lot for them. Yeah, <clears throat> they read better, they see better, they know they can start thinking about what the other team's doing, not only just about what they're doing. And I mean, he uh, he's going to be, and you saw it with Phil too. Like once Phil knew what other players were doing against him, like uh, the thought was, oh, just hit it off Phil's block, it'll go out of bounds. You can't do that anymore. You can't shoot over Phil. You can't swing your, as hard as you can at him. I mean, he's going to stuff it back in your face. Much more to come here on the Net Live. We have some great discussions. We're going to talk about Crop Pavlik. Are they the next greatest women's team out there? We'll talk about the national team head coaches. We'll talk about prize money issues. We'll take your calls, 347-677-1525. We will also have College Volleyball Weekly. Mike Sondheimer, statistician extraordinaire from London, we'll be checking in. He's awake? Along with Brandon Rosenthal. Yeah, these guys are awake, too. Rosenthal, you don't know this about him. He's just hitting his stride, and it's late. <laughs> late He's back Tennessee, there. where is he? He's in Tennessee. That's right. Midwest time, edge of it. Always tell him that it's an hour later, though. I always tell him it's on <laughs> East Coast time. So those guys will check in. We'll have the ABCA College Volleyball Weekly. Lots of great, fun action from the world of women's college volleyball, which is now underway. It's the Net Live on a nighttime show. Jeremy and Kevin, read soon. You don't have to find the best college coaches they find you at Spire Institute. Spire's postgraduate volleyball academy wants athletes. Spire delivers customized volleyball training and competition led by head coach John Hawks, athletic development with Michael Johnson performance, and educational options all in Olympic-grade facilities. There is no better way to impress college coaches and increase scholarship opportunities. Spire Institute, postgraduate men's and women's programs in multiple sports. It's not taking a year off. It's adding a year to your future. Sign up today at spireinstitute.org. 
I mean, this is your business, right? You got to be yeah. critical. Yeah. This is like me on a volleyball player. You're not the greatest ever unless you actually are. Yeah, but that's a that's a really good song, and I had a chance to listen to the album today while I was running around some errands, and I'm a really big fan, big fan of theirs. Nice. And it's not music that I would like that are going to make it into my DJ sets like that. That I'm not going to be playing that song in the club. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's a little different vibe. Yeah, than, than but the club has yeah. to offer. So I'm into it. The Net Live on a Monday night. Kevin and Jeremy holding it down. Reed's supposed to be checking in here at some point. Maybe he's stuck on the 405 in his Mercedes, <laughs> counting his money while he drives down. He just turned around road. and he's like, no, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was at a press conference last week and there was a kid. He's on the freeway for three hours. Press conference is over. He got there. Wow. Such a bummer. 
Such a bummer. Hey, let's talk about these national teams. Both jobs open. A lot of opportunity for a lot of people to apply. Yep. Qualified applicants, how many are there going to be? We'll start with the women. I think that Karch Karai is going to get offered the job. I think Karch Karai is actually going to get offered his choice. Men or the women? That would be my guess. Interesting. If I'm Karch Karai and I have my choice, I'll take the women. Okay. For two major reasons. Number one, that gym is stocked. Just stocked full of talent. And will be for years. Will be. Great pipeline, great athletes, lots of young talent that went to this last Olympics. You're going to change over some Daniel Scott Love Danielle. She's not going six times, I don't think. She'll try, maybe. Yeah. I love it if she'd try. I love it if she'd do it. But I, I can't predict the sixth Olympics. Heather Bound, last woman cut, probably done. As far as Olympics go. Okay. Logan Tom, question mark, still young. Could go again. Can still side out. Can still side out. Jordan Larson ought to hold that spot down for a while. Yep. But there will be challenges. There's lots of great talent in that gym. Setting position? Lindsey Berg going away. Courtney Thompson. Alicia Glass. There is one more. Nelly. First name? UCLA. Can't think of it offhand. Mary Spicer. Nelly Spicer. There will obviously be other talent coming up through the college ranks the next four years. I think that Karch is as a head coach unproven. Well, he hasn't. Yeah, of course. Just never done it. Yeah. I think it will be interesting to see. I think he, he's better off in the women's game because he knows the women. He knows the opponents. He knows the travel for that team. He knows the rhythm of that team. I think also the other major reason would be there's a future in that. Women's, I mean. In that national team job or after that? After that. Okay. I think that's a four-year commitment, too. I think you can have four years in that job and then move somewhere else. Or you could stay. It's your, I think it would be your choice with success. But you're saying more opportunity like in college, in the college ranks. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So if I'm Karch Cry, I would take that job. I think you may see some foreign applicants. I don't know if Paula would be an applicant. I think I may have asked her, but I don't remember the, the response. Yeah, what about like a current player on the retirement That's edge? Paula Weishoff, yeah. by the way. To come no. back and coach your former teammates, I think, is a bit dicey. Okay. So one of the reasons that I wouldn't mind getting back in at this point, if that was the way things were going for me, I think now would be a good time to get back in, eight years out. It's a different generation of players. Of course. I'm no longer the guy that played with Rich, Clay, Reed, so on. I think that... it. it you need a little distance. So there'll be some candidates out there who will apply, but the question becomes qualifications. And unfortunately in the U S system, unless you're drawing from an international base, Toshi or others, 
I don't think Jenny Longping, I don't think that you are, are going to get someone who's truly qualified. I think Karch at this point is qualified he to, hasn't proven to take a team. Well, he hasn't, but he, I think he's qualified for that position. Let me ask you this question. Could it be possible, let's say, they hire a coach, then within a year or two they're like, this isn't working, and then bring somebody else in? Would you Not do their that? style. Okay. Not their style. You so, would have, you would have seen that this four year cycle. So whoever gets style. it, they're in for the next Olympics. I think so. That's just the United States style. It's not the style of other teams, other programs, other other governing bodies. But I think it's the United States style. So I think whoever gets it stays for four years. What will be interesting, and this is the discussion always happens around Karch. Oh, Karch, the greatest player in the world, greatest player ever, player of the century, all this other stuff. Dedicated. Oh, oh yeah. This. Yeah. True. All that's true. Yep. But when you're a coach, you are now responsible for building two teams. First of all, your staff. Okay. You have to build and maintain that team of people. You also then to need to build and maintain a team of athletes. The interpersonal skills required of of the of the head coach to manipulate, construct maintain and lead those two groups is huge. This is why so many coaches struggle at that position. This is one of the reasons Huma Kutchin succeeded the way he did because he's very good with the interpersonal relations aspect of things. And he put a good support staff around him. Being a beach volleyball superstar is a lot different than being a leader of two teams. For sure. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Can he do it? I don't know. And you know what? Anyone who, who sits on the other side and goes, oh, yeah, he can do it. You don't know either. <laughs> no, and he he may not know. He doesn't know. He's never done it. Yep. I'm sure he believes in himself. And I'm sure that he's qualified to get that chance. Karch Karai, without the experience under Huma Kutchin, not qualified to get that chance. Period. Oh yeah, being under under uh, Hugh was huge. Now qualified to get that chance. I will say this about Karch, knowing him from the beach, his work ethic and wanting to be good at what he does. Yes, is a big factor in him getting any job. I would think. I always hear that about him. I get that sense about him when I'm around him. No disagreement there. Yep. And hearing like some of the. Um, the players from these teams that have been on our show talking about Karch, they say the same positive things about him, too. So if the players like him, that would be a, uh, a bonus in his favor, I would think, as well. He will have instant respect, obviously. Mm -hmm. However, that respect fades real quick if you can't manage the personalities, if you can't produce the results, if you can't lead and direct a program you have to be able to lead and direct a program. And that includes setting goals for yourself, setting goals for the team, clearly articulating those goals. And that's a lot different than having a partner on the beach. For sure. And being under Hugh McCutcheon, who's doing all those things. Obviously great instruction, but yet to be seen. But you think he's the uh, the leading candidate? Yes leading candidate for that job. I think you don't take the men's job because I think the men's job is an eight-year commitment, in my mind. Why do you say that? 
Because that team is going to go through a huge changeover. Player-wise? Player-wise. Program-wise. I think there's a question as to what it means to be on that team. What it means to be a member of that team. How that is done. All those things, I think, are, are questionable. So when it comes to the men's job, I think it is a much bigger job than the women's right now. I think the women have a good sense of who they are, the direction of the program. I think the cupboard is stocked full. The men's program, I think the cupboard is about half empty. And the only way you're going to fill it is if you are able to train these players up to the international level. And if you are not of the international level as far as a teacher and a coach, it's going to be pretty hard. Because you have a lot of players without a lot of experience. Yep. And you're losing more experience every day that goes by, every year that goes by professionally. I think that's that's going to be an issue. So I think the men's job is definitely an eight-year eight year commitment. I think you might be pretty good in about two if you really can do it. But I think it's going to take a little bit longer. I think it's going to take probably all the way to the first four years. I think you're going to go to the Olympics. You're going to learn a lot about the players. Then you're going to come back four years later. And I, I think you have the potential to be pretty darn good. There are some good young setters out there. Matt West comes to mind. Micah, last name escaping me from SC. There's some good young setters, good young leaders. I think there are some hitters out there that can be brought in. So I think I think that's a little bit longer term project than the women's team. I think the women's team is right up there. Names that have come up for the men. Somebody threw a Marv at me. And I said, you're really dreaming, aren't you? <laughs> I said, you're really, you're really off, like, looking at rainbows and ponies and going, oh, look, here comes Marv over the hill. Kittens and candles. Yeah. Great idea. Love the idea. Would love the man in that position. Not going to happen. Sean Patchell was an interesting name that came up. Former BYU. Someone called him Hugh Light. Hugh, Hugh Light? Hugh Light. I'm and not sure I, what that I means. I don't know if that was a man boobs joke. <laughs> Hugh, giant pectorals. I don't know if he just has smaller pectorals or it was a, a weight crack on Hugh, <laughs> who looks trim and fit these days. I don't know. But I thought Sean Patchell was an interesting option. It, guy with a little bit of international experience. Gordon Mayforth, back in the mix. Former coach of Greece. Has helped out with the national team program. I'm sure wants the job. I'm sure he'll apply for the job. That's my question. Which job is more appealing? Men or women? Yep. More appealing? Yep. In what sense? And I would rather have this job because I'm going to be more successful in it. Women? Just because of the depth of the gym? I think so. I think you get athletes all the time. I think the men's is more of a crapshoot. Sometimes you get the athletes, sometimes you don't. The talent pool is just too small. I don't think you have to teach quite as much. But some guys like coaching men versus coaching women. Different animal. So it'll be interesting to see how, how those two teams play out. 
But I think the men's team, a much bigger job from a standpoint of training, team construction, staff construction. I think you're going to find some more challenges there that you won't find quite as great in the women's game. But I think either one is fraught with a lot of challenges. I think Hugh would tell you that. As soon as he got the job, he was leaving himself voicemails at 3 in the morning. So I think all that's uh, up in the air. The, I only wish one thing. I only want to see one thing out of the whole process. I don't have a horse in the race. I don't care who the coaches are. Get it done before the first of the year. First of the year is the latest I want to hear an announcement from USA Volleyball. You personally. You're going to get the email from them. Anybody, Kevin, though. Here, just so you know. Well, I told Doug I already put my resume in, so <laughs> I'll obviously get the denial letter maybe in November or something for both jobs. Yeah, both. <laughs> Well, don't you think that after the Doug situation is um, finalized, some other things will start falling into place, too? Sure. I think he's out. Ari Graca, I think, has it of Brazil. I think he's leading in the polls. I heard, Yeah, I heard some things this weekend, but everybody still has to vote. So it's a little uh, non-transparent. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, I think it's done already. But that, that could be one thing. But this is something that, that's been worked on for a while. John Sprawl was the obvious pick for the men's job. And now is at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me started on that one. John made the right choice. We talked about that. He didn't make the right choice that I wanted him to make. He didn't make your choice. No, he did not make the choice I wanted John to make. Very disappointed that John did not listen to me and make the appropriate choice. Instead, he's clad in baby blue and gold. Is it UCLA that bothers you, or is it? Uh... I don't know. Okay. I want I want the men's national team to have success. That's what I want. I want them to win. I want them to improve every time out. Every time. I want out. them to play to their maximum potential. Way to circle that back. I want John in that seat. Let's move on and get the get get it done before January first. Preferably before our next show. Preferably before the next show. Yes, but before January first for. Please, for the sake of the individual taking the job, get him the job, get him five months lead time instead of two months. And feel free to come on this show and make that announcement, too. Amen, brother man. Welcome to the show, a bespectacled Reed Pretty. Hi, Reed. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome into the hornet's nest. <laughs> I didn't interrupt your mow there, did I? No, no. No, no, but I figured, you know, calls. you're, you're going to be on the team and... You got a job. You got a job. Favorite? You can play for Sean Patchell. <laughs> we'll let you slide on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, interesting conversation. Definitely uh, with you. The sooner, the better. In terms of both of those announcements, I would disagree with you. I think, in terms of the men's job, uh, I think there's. Uh, I think the cupboard is is plenty full. Um, and I think that. You know, somebody that comes in with some vision and and hit the ground running, um, they're going to find some some really eager players to buy in, and uh, I expect you know under the right system. Because at the end of the day, is volleyball not just system driven? You know, I think maybe college is the last level where you can get away with my player is better than your player, and that just works to a certain extent in terms of wins and losses, but it does not work for p- titles. 
Yeah, everybody has good players. And so, uh, so yeah, I would disagree with you on that point, but I am in total agreement that uh, the sooner the better, but not not at the expense of hiring the right people for both jobs. Sure. And um, in a lot of conversations I've been a part of, people ask me, am I opposed to on a, a foreign coach uh, coming in and, and fulfilling that role? And, uh, you know, we consider Hugh American at this point, but he was foreign. Nah, he's American. I mean, compared to like a Raul Lozano or uh, somebody else you might hire. I mean, you think of half a dozen Italians who are out there, Daniele Bagnoli and a bunch of others that are floating around the international universe. Yeah, I think you need to look outside the box. You need to look outside the United States for a qualified candidate in, in that system. I think you're right. Sure. I think I think where you can get in trouble is if there's just a lack of understanding of culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's very specific things that set us apart from, from the rest of the world, just like you know, um, going into any other country. And so I think if somebody foreign um, that has experience that, that wants to come in, and, and I think you're right, an eight-year an eight-year plan, I think, would be a good idea. Let me ask you a question about that foreign idea. I agree there's some differences. One of the reasons we've talked about on this show that Americans are so valued overseas is for their ability to come to practice every day and work as hard as they can and their ability to never quit. Two of the biggest reasons Americans are really valued on foreign teams. But at this point, how many seasons overseas? Uh, Twelve. How foreign wow. are you? <laughs> so where where do those two things meet? Where does all the international experience of the American national team player meet with all the international coaching experience of a of a foreign coach? Is it? I think it's easier to blend those than sure. twenty years ago. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. How Euro are we? Yeah. <laughs> How, how short are your shorts? In Reed's music taste, he's very Euro. Yeah, uh, Barbara Streisand. Very yeah. true. Always makes me think of Reed. Oh, in fact, I was going to send you uh, a, a song. Track? Because today was my first day of the next quad. And I crushed it in the weight room. <laughs> I saw your tweet. You were back at it. Oh, it took me about 45 minutes. And I missed out because uh, Clay Stanley and, and Rich Lamborn and Tim uh, Pillow, who's our, our strength and conditioning coach for the national team, they were uh, busting it at the ASC. I couldn't make it over there. Um, and so I was sending them text messages of how hard I was working. <laughs> and, uh, I had this one track that I got to get you so okay. you can play it, but it was, Done. uh, extremely motivating. I had it on repeat and I even went for a run after my lift and, you know, what is there only about a thousand days between now and Rio? The fact that today was your first day back for the next quad and you know how many days are until Rio is, it makes me, it's freaking me out a little bit. I'm not gonna lie to you. You know what? I got better today. That's all that matters. I like it. <laughs> Late night show. Reed's fired up. Kevin okay, so should be drunk. What people want to know is then, what have you been doing since the Olympics? What does the post-Olympics haze look like for you? Where have you been traveling? What have you been up to? How many properties have you bought? How many cars have you looked at on the Rob Report? I mean, what what are you doing with yourself, pretty? Um, I've been playing a lot of golf. I uh, was able to take my son to his first swimming lesson today. Nice. Which was awesome. He's still with us? He, yeah. He uh, he did an awesome job, but he did not stop crying the entire time. Awesome. So, uh, and, and, of course, they encouraged us. They were like, it would be, uh, can I give you a piece of advice? Or I don't know how they phrased it. but yeah, it was a really, go away. It was a really nice, 
way of saying it would be easier if you guys weren't here and we're like, look, we know our son. We know what you're saying, but like he'll never recover if he doesn't see us right now. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm disagreeing with you there. You got to listen. Go away. Was Pre- that preschool his, too, pretty? His preschool first time too. in water? No, no. Oh, okay. But first no. time like real lessons. Yeah, real okay. lessons. And he picked it up. That, you know, they did a good job. He got better today. So, yeah, we're taking him <laughs> tomorrow too. He did get better today. <laughs> So, yeah, just uh, family time. Uh, I've been playing a lot of golf. We were able to play with uh, I played with Rich and Scott Tuzinski before Scott took off to Germany um, yesterday. So we played a couple days ago. Um, I'm trying to take a few lessons to get better because golf is a lot more fun when you're better at it. <laughs> Agreed. That's why I don't play. So uh, <laughs> I got out and uh, surfed a little bit, which was good. But uh, there's no waves right now, so we're waiting for something to come in. But, yeah, just see if I can't get sunburned and uh, hang out with some friends and family. Strange thing about Southern California, when we do get surf, it is not warm here. No. Because you have to get a system churning across the Pacific Ocean, which is not warm, by the way, to send waves our way. Occasionally, you get, like, the southern flow. Most times when it gets hot, like it's getting tomorrow, where it's 105 in the valleys and it's 88.5 here at the beach and it's hot, it's because we have a high-pressure system. There's no wind moving around. There's nothing going on, and it's the lake out here. It's a really giant lake. I wish it was the other way. Like, let's have the hot weather and the big waves. When it gets cold, no waves, because then, great, I don't have to go wear a 4.3 and jump in and have my feet feel like bricks. Can I tell you the last time I got in the ocean out here in Southern California? It's easily been five to seven years well it's real hard on the wow. dj equipment easily when you get in i mean you can't take your computer and your switchboard and your your little uh, i don't like your attitude but i don't <laughs> like being cold yeah the and that water is in the water freezing here, even in the summer hey newsflash those out from southern california never been here the water's cold dude yeah i came out expecting like oh california girls and get in the water and hawaii no dude water's like 68 I'm not good with cold water. No. I don't have insulation. And Sorry, because folks. it doesn't get that hot at the beach, I never feel like, oh, I need to go cool off in the water. Right. I need to go turn myself into an icicle in the water. I never get that feeling. Plus, it messes up your mohawk. Totally. <laughs> did you guys talk beach already? We did, but what do you what do you want to talk about? We, talk, we, just we didn't talk about... about Whitney and Jenny being possibly the next best thing, though. And we haven't talked about the prize money issue either. So have at it, Mr. Pretty. Take us a direction. It's your <laughs> show, after all. Well, gosh, I wasn't there, and I I, I saw a few <laughs> tweets. So, uh, so you're an expert on it. Well, so yeah. go go somewhere, and I'll pick you up. Because I was I was there for an hour, so I got in there, and then DJ, well, he was in the booth all week. I saw a nice quote from uh, John um, Hyden saying that he 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 they were motivated to show the young generation that they're still the team to beat. Thought that was a pretty he was spicy. He uh, was fired up out yeah, there. Yeah, I like for it for sure. For sure. And we talked about it. I mean, they're Sean and John, they played so good, they could have beat anybody yesterday. They were just, I mean, everything. It was awesome. It was fun to watch. Maybe not the best TV because it wasn't that competitive of a match, but it was fun to watch. And what, what channel was it on? It's going to be on NBC. Oh, very good. I'll be doing it Thursday. Oh, look at you. NBCSN. I'll be talking to John, Sean, Casey, Ryan, all before the finals. Awesome. Before I do it. Because that's kind of professional. I am. You are professional. Full-time professional. Yeah, I, I went down there, and team was good. It was fun. Did you get a chance to walk around at all? I know you had tennis Just shoes Just a little on. bit. I, 
I did. I kept tennis shoes on. And when I got a call from Geeter, I told him I had knee pads on too. Just in case I had to dig a ball because I can't go down in the sand without knee pads. And when you showed up, you said, I have next set. I did, in fact, say that over the mic and no one knew what I was talking about. People booed you. Here was the deal with the tennis shoes. I live in Redondo Beach. I live three-quarters of a mile from the water. Manhattan Pier is about, I don't know, what is it, six miles probably? From here? Something close to six miles. Okay. I was not going to ride six miles in a pair of flip-flops when I had basically two hours to get there, spend some time, and get back. Not going mountain bike, hardcore, back-and-forth workout style in flip-flops. Rainbows, not cutting it. Needed some ASICs. So I'm tromping around the beach in my sneakers. But lucky for you, there was a walk path down there, so you could walk on that most of the time. Thank you, James Lights, for the walk path. Yes. I appreciate it. And all the handicapped people that were there, because that's who it's there for, not for people with shoes. Uh, That could be considered a handicap on the beach. That's true. I look like I'm a little slow. Yes. (laughs) But the weather was great down there, and then Jenny and Whitney, who... Killed everybody! Man, I will say, uh, Fatma Sweat, this is their... This is Fatma's second time in the Manhattan Beach Finals. She was with, I think, one of the Linquist sisters who has since married, and I can't remember their last name, so I just still call them Linquist sisters. Um, She looked ready to go. She didn't look nervous. It looked good out there. I was like, okay, this is going to be a good match. And all of a sudden, Jenny and Whitney were just, they took it up even another level in the finals. And they, they're they good. They're really good. I streamed it. I watched most of the second set. I didn't just beat them. They slaughtered them. Yeah. And in the score of the second set, oh, was it 18? They got three points late. Yeah. Sweat went back to serve and hit a couple of good ones yep. to, to make the score look respectable. I'm sorry. They got smashed. Yeah, it wasn't as close as the score showed, for sure. No, and it looked like they just truck-rolled through the tournament, too. Uh, Really, really impressive performance. So the question becomes, where are they? Are they the next big thing? Well, I said this last year, that Jenny last year took, you could tell in her play, she took a step up. This year, I've seen that in Whitney. Okay. She's taken that step up where she's kind of matched what Jenny's doing. Um they're the best team, women's team, domestically, just because no one else has really played that much. But I want to see them play Jen and April, Carrie, whoever. Yes. And I want to see that consistently. Are we going to get that this week in Cincy? Possibly. Okay. I don't know if Carrie's going to be there. Jen and April will be there, but I've heard rumors that they may not be there the whole time. We'll get into that in a few in the prize money discussion. Correct. What about the litigator, Fendrick and Hansen? There was a partner breakup. Did they break up? They did. I wondered if somebody was injured or if they broke up. No, uh, I saw that Fendrick played with uh, Scott. Rachel. Rachel Scott. I always want to say Wachholder. Yes, Rachel Scott, Sean Scott's wife, and Brooke played with Tyra Turner. So all the tests they were having, done. What I heard, I didn't speak to either one of them about this, but what I heard was that Brooke, it was Brooke's decision to switch. Now, if it was a mutual breakup, I don't, I have no, I can't say it was mutual. I, that would be my gut that no, but I can't. Cutthroat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and when they, they played each other, uh, everything blurs together now. I can't remember if it was Sunday morning, but they played each other, and Rachel and Lauren gave Tyra and Brooke a beatdown. Two straight. Is there some angling going on here for Carrie? Who's going to get Carrie? What small is going to get Carrie? Uh, is there any decision in that? 
She's not small, and her name is April Ross. Yeah, that's who she's going to play with. Let me tell you that right now. What about Jen Kessie? Jen is going to play one more year. Now, will April play with her for one more year, or will Jen be like, go play with Carrie? Yeah, you're right. You heard it here first. Really? Yep. you have any information to back this up? Nope. That's just, just you. That's what's going to happen. In your own head, speculating. Yep. In your dome, bouncing around, angling off the mohawk. Really? Carrie uh, hinted at that in the Olympics after they won the gold. Wow. On NBC. Wouldn't that be interesting? What's Jen going to do? Be cover girl full time? Why not? <laughs> I'd give her a lot of fibers. I mean, don't. I mean, if you. Jen's already said she doesn't want to play in Rio. And April, I'm sure, does. I haven't heard her say no, she doesn't want to play in Rio. And Carrie's already booked her trip. So, would you start planning for that now? Carrie's booked her trip? Oh, for sure. She's got the hotel room, <laughs> flights booked, everything's good to go. Casey's taking care of the kids. Yeah. It's all done. Qualification? <laughs> she, she There'll is. be more campaigning against that. That's she, fine. She's, I'm telling you. She will actually, what, what she's campaigning for right now is that she is actually qualified for 16 already. Yeah. Well, she played with Nicole, uh, Carrie played with Nicole Branna in the, the FIVB event after the Olympics. I believe they got a ninth. Look at Nicole appearing back on the radar screen. So that's not going to work out. That's not going to come back? Isn't that the same player? April and Nicole? Nicole's a little younger, I believe. I mean, uh, April's April's a little younger. younger, And you don't have a little bit of that animosity that Carrie dumped you right before the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Something to watch. There you go. In, inside of DJ Roche's yeah. head. So I will clip that sound bite. So when it's official, exactly. when they both come on the show to make uh-huh. the announcement, uh-huh. I just want some recognition. Okay. Three four seven six seven seven fifteen twenty five. If you have an opinion, we have a Canadian online. Let's put the Canadian on. Oh, okay. Cam Kerr, gotta be. How's he even awake at this hour? Toronto, it's like one o'clock in the morning or something. Hey guys, how's it going? Can you hear me? I think I lost you. This is the beauty of an evening show. People are sitting around their computers. Not at work, able to call 347-677-1525. I could guess 1700 hasn't called in. I'm calling him out. We're talking beach for like 45 minutes. And guess 1700 is MIA. Sleeping. <sighs> talking about his 14 year old or something, probably. Should something we try Cam do. one more time? Yes. Cam, are you off the speakerphone? Uh, can you guys hear me now? Yes. Oh, lovely. Goodness sake, Cam, get off the speakerphone. Welcome into the net live again. What is it, 30 degrees below zero up there yet? Almost. It's 29. We're getting there. Uh, the Argonauts versus the Eskimos today. It's a pretty good game. Really? Yeah. Kevin, Kevin I'm Canadian, and I don't even watch the CFL. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. What I love about the CFL is they get down to the 10-yard line, and then they throw a 30-yard bomb to the back of the end zone because it's 20 yards deep. Oh, Crack. exactly. 
Exactly. And you can also get a running start when you hit the ball. So you, you see like tight ends just clipping players. It's amazing. Anyway, I wanted to uh, call to talk about what Jay brought up a couple of weeks ago. You mentioned it a little bit in the uh, in the intro, but with him talking about taking some money with current North American sports organizations to create kind of like a sports club. Yep. Uh, now, I don't know if Personally, I don't think that that kind of business operation for sports would work in North America. And the reason being is that these, uh, for example, like the NBA teams and NHL, NFL, MLB, they don't really have sports clubs. Like, yes, the MLB will have farm teams and some NHL teams will have there's, – there's minor leagues everywhere – but it's not really in their interest to, you know, have another stadium and fund another team and coaches and kind of get that going under their umbrella company. Like, I, I don't see the Lakers taking money from someone's salary to start a uh, a volleyball team or any other sport for that matter. It doesn't benefit them. Why? I mean, they couldn't build another product, you don't think? Well, I, I don't think that the interest would be there. Like, their brand is, for example, like, let's use Toronto Maple Leafs just because I, I know them well. Like, the Toronto Maple Leafs brand is hockey, and they do very well in the NHL uh, just branding hockey and selling out tickets. They have, sure, they have minor league teams. Uh, they have the Toronto Marlies, and so you, I guess you could say that they're part of that same sports organization, but they're not branching out like some of these clubs are over in Europe and getting, you know, like a hockey team or a volleyball team or uh, some other sports under their belt. AEG is, I think, almost like that, or, or, or to me, the organization most likely to do something like that. They have a lot of facilities, a lot of space. They're kind of a conglomerate. They could start that club model and it's very familiar to soccer clubs in general of having a soccer team, volleyball team, uh, handball, some other things all under one umbrella. But I'm, I'm with you that the money and the dollars just aren't there. I mean, how are you going to, how are you going to dedicate money to this with no real clear return? And, and Jay was talking about, Oh, Matt Kemp should give up a million dollars. Yeah. Good luck with that. One. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to give up a million dollars. Even if I'm making 20, that one sounds real good. It's a right. lot of cars I can buy. It's like three. I'd be interested to hear Reed's opinion because, Reed, when you played over in Russia, uh, Kazan had a bunch of different sports under its kind of wing. Is that correct? Yeah, they had similar sponsors, but they weren't an org- all part of the same organizational structure. So yeah. I... I don't think it would work just like, I don't know, the NBA trying to support the WNBA. That that didn't really work. <laughs> well, it's a commercial for them. I mean, it's, it works as a commercial, but it, it's, a, it's the same sport, right? So you can still get that on TV. I don't, if, if you jump out to a completely different community, does it do the same thing? Let's say they started the Women's Volleyball League. I don't think it does nearly as much as the WNBA does for the NBA product overall. No. Right. And I feel that th- those kind of support is because it's their minor league system. For example, uh, the MLB has 
many different minor leagues so that they can, you know, build those players and build their teams and build their farm system so that one day that those players will become value to them uh, in the majors. Same with the NHL. NHL teams have minor league teams. I'm pretty sure the NFL still gives some money to the CFL. Uh, I'm not sure on that, so don't send me email, you listeners who hate the CFL. But it's down instead of four. Right. It's uh, it, it's those investments that they're making in these other leagues still benefit them financially. Right. You know what I think we need? We actually need a player to cross over. To- a volleyball player? We need a volleyball player to cross over like Antonio Gates and become an all-pro. Had it. Sports. He's big. He's muscular. He could run through a wall. George Romain should have done it. And then you would have massive support for volleyball so they could pull out the one tight end and one defensive end. Come on, 6'6". Six, six. George, 6'8", six, jump 40 inches. That boy should be playing defensive end. 260 pounds without lifting a weight. George, what are you doing? Defensive end, my man. Let's think big here. All right, Cam. Anything else going on in Canada volleyball we should know about besides the Jason Haldane fiasco, the defection by Jason Haldane? I don't even know what you're talking about. I was actually going to see if you guys were following any of the U21 stuff, the Norseka U21 tournament from Colorado Springs. We've had some tweets from Jay, who I think was there, and the United States defeated Guatemala, if I'm correct. Is that about right? Uh, Honduras. Honduras. Sorry. Yeah, there's some countries on this list that I do not recognize at all. Which is in, in true Norseka event fashion. That's right. Trinidad and Tobago, Antigua. What else can we pull into there? All right. Uh, we have not been following it. We have not dug into it. Is there any reason we should dig into it right now, Cam? Right now, no. It's still pool play. It's still early. The countries that we don't really know much about will be out. I was talking to Vinny earlier in the chat board, and we think that it's going to be a Canada-USA final. I'll call back and check in on that later when it happens. Ah, very Perfect. good. Thanks for the call, Cam. Appreciate, appreciate Take it. Take care, guys. All right. See you Bye. for Super uh, okay, so Jason Haldane, just to clarify, Cam doesn't know anything about it, but Jason Haldane, long-time member of the Canadian national team, long-time, like 10-plus years, member of the Canadian national team, goes and plays for London, uh, for, pardon me, for Great Britain in London, and he's on the Great Britain men's volleyball team. Interesting. Finally an Olympian, Jason Haldane, congratulations. You made it. You had to come out of a different zone. <laughs> the we're hosting zone to qualify for the Olympics, but you did it. We have another caller. Put up, I don't care who it is. We have two more callers, as a matter of fact. Wow. Uh, one of them might be for College Volleyball Weekly, but 615 or 310. Three, there's a 310, which, but the first one was a 562. 562? Put Let's them on. find out. I don't know. Kentucky? It's 562. I can't remember. 562, you're on the air with the net live. Mr. Barnett, it's Mr. Garthoff. Hey, Matt Garthoff. Oh, 562 is like Long Beach or something. <laughs> it's Long Beach. It's not Kentucky. <laughs> Might as well be Kentucky. It's funnier if it's Kentucky. What's up, Garthoff? I saw you pop on the Facebook page today. What do you got for us? Yeah, well, I wanted to tell you my theme for this Olympics. Okay. 
it was the unbelievable connection we were finally able to make through social media to the athletes. This is something I haven't seen, even though social media's been around. I think this was where it was sort of in full swing and kind of everyone was, was using it and experimenting and people were on the national team were opening Twitter accounts at the last minute and uh, it was really something neat to to sort of be as close as you could be to being there without actually being there. Some athletes actually getting taken out of the Olympic Games disqualified for their tweets. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. No volleyball players, hopefully. Yeah, that's interesting. To ha- to be able to have that kind of interaction during the games is utterly unique. Uh, what what do you think it brought to your fan experience that you were missing before? How did it really enhance your interest in watching the sports? Well, I mean, I mean, I guess the best example would be uh, vis-a-vis Sean Rosenthal. I mean, he was not only like you know responding where we have the seven-hour time difference and you know, talking about, you know, getting involved in the conversation. But then I was able to hook up with the Raiders, and then, you know, they threw a big party at uh, Waterman's Forum, and then all of a sudden I'm there, and, you know, you got all these people in there with the T-shirts and watching the game together and high-fiving every single, like, living and dying on every point. And, I mean, it was it was as good an experience, fan experience as you could have had in the States without actually being in London. So it brought you much closer to the athlete, the experience, your interest went up, the the theory again of more is just more. I mean, sometimes yeah. organizations have operated with the less is more theory, where if you make it, <laughs> people want But in fact, if the more you feed them, the more you want to consume. Well, and, you know, as you guys have talked about quite a bit, like one of the best advantages to volleyball, uh, you know, I guess it's the, the downside of not being as, as big as the other sports but the upside is is the access, is that you can go to the Manhattan Beach Open and, you know, I could talk to Casey Patterson yesterday and I can <laughs> I can talk to the players. Well, you know, here's the here's the next next thing. I can sit there and, you know, following uh, an incredible win or a heartbreaking loss, you can, you know, send a message to the person saying, you know, give them support or pick them up or what have you and have them actually respond and get involved in that conversation. That's I don't think that's happened uh, – before and it, and it certainly made it everything I watched on TV. It felt that much closer. So you got to talk to Casey and you got to speak to Ryan Doherty's navel. That must have been a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I've been uh, well. I don't want to spill the beans. I got a. I have a creative project in the works with with Ryan. We'll uh, we're gonna we're still gonna figure that out. Yeah, good luck. I, I spent Paul. a little time with Dan yesterday. He was he was sporting the Net Live T-shirt as was Jeremy. Was you see any others? Uh no no and I, I I was I was repping the barbecue T-shirt I think I was the only one so you you got me two to one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to have a booth down there. We need some. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Down there repping that stuff. I've seen more net live shirts at uh, out of state events than I have in Southern California. Oh, that's so so aggravating. Well, it was it was big at, at North Lake because in Long Beach I saw seven to ten. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Gardhoff, I'm looking forward yeah. to the doll project. Whatever it is, I don't know how you're going to do the avatar. You're going to have to buy yourself yeah. an avatar doll. <laughs> Those are out there. But Excellent. The- well, I, I, I will say I want a uh, special thanks to uh, to Reed's family for, for repping the giant Reed heads in London. I saw them on TV, on NBC. That was phenomenal. That that was the, that was the second best uh, thing 
to be in there. That thing was everywhere. There was a great picture in the P&G house on the wall, Ken and Sharon with Giant Reed behind him in the subway. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right, guys. Will you have a good one? Gardoff, thanks for calling in, man. Appreciate it. Always good to hear from you. You got it. Talk to you. All right, Matt Gardhoff, creative how, creative extraordinaire. How did the giant heads get to London? That's a good question. <laughs> did they fly I, I first class? Know. Like, oh Because there were no creases on your dome, so it's not like they were folded up. I think it was folded. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, I think I said last week I, w- I was everywhere. You... Uh, they took me to the swimming event. Black <laughs> family. It became like a where's – and then the other guys got them all too. So nice. USA Volleyball passed out uh, a little bit smaller version, but they were still like massive heads on these little bodies. And then all the families start taking them all over the city and taking awesome. photos. And it would be hilarious to have a guy like Matt get all of those photos and mash them together into like one little picture book. That would be funny. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, did you get mine of you and Stanley holding hands at the boys' championship? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good, too. I found a, a, a cardboard cutout of these two guys standing in a booth, so I put them holding hands over there in the booth. <laughs> yeah. It was a fun one. Hey, you know, Matt brings up a great point about social media and just connecting, connecting the uh, fan closer to the experience. I think being on the other side of being actually one of the athletes who are tweeting, you're always – teetering on this is this too much information or is this not enough am i being too distant or you know yeah um because you definitely want to include i I think it's a really special thing especially for the people who have supported you uh in your team and your your teammates along the way um but at the same time um there's got to be some limits yeah that was my thought like even like at the beach events where I know a lot of the players, I don't necessarily approach them because they're in game mode. So I don't want to go and be like, oh, hey, you know, start BSing with them about whatever because it's like you're about to play a match. I don't want to – whatever your preparation is, I don't want to get involved with that. So noticing like how some players do use the social media, like some talk a lot, some just very rarely after the match or only when they win or whatever. It's just – it's a very interesting dynamic. I'm sure fine line because some of these players were getting in trouble because they would – tweet a photo that had a logo of somebody that wasn't an Olympic sponsor and then they would get a quote-unquote warning or get in trouble or whatever. You know, it, I like, it is fraught with a lot of potential problems, no? Yeah, you know, I like, I like though, just the control that you're able to, uh, if you have something to say, you can say it and it's going to be heard, um, especially given the fact that, I mean, I, I, I didn't read any news articles until after the games. But it's amazing. Uh, some reporters out there are just flat out lazy in that they'll find that easy story, that easy soundbite, and then just write a story that probably took them 15 minutes instead of really listening to you and mm-hmm. trying to understand you and understand what you're trying to say and and construct a story that, that is factual and, and based on not quotes out of context. I mean, I can't even imagine some of these athletes that deal with this on a daily basis um, – in terms of, you know, the mass media. But, you know, I think social media is such a great component to to have those instances to, to be able to draw you closer to, to what it's, what's actually happening. Well, and it's your voice, too. So if somebody misquotes you, that's it's your voice on your social media. That works to the detriment of the athletes sometimes, too. You can interact with us on social media, the net live at... 
twitter.com, twitter.com slash the net live, and facebook.com slash the net live. And you can also traditional email. Who knows when that starts becoming snail mail? Actual email, the net live at gmail.com. Much more to come. The College Volleyball Weekly right on the other side of the turn. We'll hopefully have Mike Sonheimer and Brandon Rosenthal to break down what was an incredible week number one. The number one team in the nation already has gone down. And we'll also talk beach prize money as time moves forward. And anything else you want to talk about, 347-677-1525. It's a net live night. Volleyball Mag, the industry's number one volleyball magazine. Volleyball Mag is serving the volleyball community Do you know that over number? 20 years with the latest in volleyball news and information, product reviews, athlete profiles, fitness, health, and travel-related features. It's published nine times a year. Volleyball Magazine brings you the inside to the access to the sport's biggest stars. Whether you're interested in junior, collegiate, or professional level, sand or indoor, Volleyball Magazine has you covered both on and off the court. Visit us now. Do it. www.volleyballmag.com and subscribe for one year for only $19.99. Do that now and receive a new water bottle, a $49 value, free compliments of our friends at Naturally Energized Water Bottle Company. Volleyball Mag, the industry's number one volleyball mag. Oh, she let me speak with her, I figured her figures are short, short winner. Yeah. Plus I got a lead from 
Welcome back in the Net Live. About three quarters of the way through here on a Monday evening show. It's a lot of fun. It's gone by fast. Not great lighting here in the loft. We've got to fix the home court lighting. I think I can bring my disco ball next time. It sounds great. And if we're going to make this a true night show, I need a driver. <laughs> <laughs> whiskeys and Sprite aren't good once you get back on the road for an hour drive home. Yeah, I've been to Scotland now, so it's just whiskey. Oh, I learned straight up. I learned on one of my tours there, the only thing you add to whiskey is whiskey. Look, More whiskey. See the hair on your chest. Like then. no ice, no nothing, right? Just glass, Man, whiskey. That is that is tough. Good I will time. not be doing that anytime soon. If you want to do like Shooters of Malibu Rum, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> the Miley Cyrus, yeah. top down, headed up to Malibu. In a white convertible, yes. My wife, that's all she, she like has characterized you. Whenever she thinks of you, she thinks <laughs> of Miley Cyrus convertible. That's just that. That should you should leave the show right now. The very next that. time I show up at his house, I'm gonna pull up outside the, the door and I'm gonna blast the hell out of some Miley Cyrus. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's get on to the college volleyball weekly. You have any music we can use for this? Because we don't have a number one. We're gonna get you in control over there. Nobody wants to hear the fight songs anymore. In association with the American Volleyball Coaches Association, the AVCA, the Net Live is proud each week to present the best of. What was and a preview of what will be in college volleyball. It's kind of groovy, dude. I kind of like this. Wait for it. It's coming? We try and bring you some expert analysis, some recap of what has happened. We're going to welcome in a man with an opinion. He'll argue with anybody. I watched him go toe-to-toe with Paul Sunderland for 21 days in London. I thought someone was going to end up outside the announced position there in Earl's Court. Welcome to the Net Live once again, one of our favorites, Mike Sonheimer. How are you guys doing? Sondi, thanks for hanging in there, and I don't mean just now on hold. I'm talking about the Olympic Games. You and Sunderland, toe-to-toe, mano-a-mano. Problem is, he's got a microphone. I didn't have one. <laughs> Good. All right, let's move right on to uh, the college volleyball scene we got to start with your number one ranked at the time, the UCLA Mike Seeleys. They went down to Nebraska 3-2. Yeah, 15-13 in the fifth after being up 13-11. Give John Cook and his team a lot of credit for coming back. And it was an incredible match early season. The other biggie was Hawaii losing set one, barely getting by set two, and then blowing out Stanford in sets three and four for a 3-1 win last night. And those are the two most impressive victories of the weekend. 
Well, what about Dayton, though? You talk about impressive victories. Guys Dayton was great. Dayton, who picked off, what, three teams and then vaulted yeah. themselves into the top 25 from previously unranked, went to, what, 14th? Dayton has always had a very strong program. They were a great host of the regionals, and they have a schedule where if they can beat Minnesota and Huma Kutchin, I think it comes up in about three weeks, they have a chance to maybe even run the table into the NCAAs. All right, number two, Texas in early action, defeated LSU, defeated Cal Poly, and also defeated San Diego. Is, is this like college football where you're kind of starting with some cream puffs, you want to kind of warm up before you really get going, and it's just a kind of unusual set of circumstances to get Nebraska-UCLA right off the bat? Well, I think what you have is you've got the Pac-12 as a dominant conference, you have the Big Ten as a dominant conference, and you have Texas and Hawaii and maybe Florida State. And those are the cream of the crop and the teams. And Texas, Chris McGee has picked them to win the NCAA title the last four years. I'm sure he'll pick them again this year, and they have a great shot. And the new NCAA rules, which are going to be a nightmare for announcers, is you can do 15 subs now instead of 12. And Texas has figured it out. They're running a 6-2 offense. They have big people across the front in every single rotation, and they're as physical a team as anybody in the country. Whereas Penn State has also figured out the rules, and he's got Russ Rose has got some great backcourt players, and so he's going the other way. He's trying to use all of his backcourt players to have perfect passes, and his middle went down about 750 in three matches over the weekend, including crushing a good Louisville team. What do you do with these early season rankings when you have everybody just kind of trying to sort themselves out? Tennessee, number 15, loses to Florida State 3 nothing, and Florida State at number 12, but then comes back and defeats Iowa State at 10-3-2. What, what do you think that should do for Tennessee? Well, I think it does more for Florida State because Iowa State had all the momentum after losing to Florida State last year to get to the Volley Four. And Florida State, Chris Poole's done a nice job with that program, bringing them along, whereas Tennessee right now is in a battle with Kentucky and Florida. I think it's a three-way battle in the SEC, and we'll see how things play out. The big tournament coming up this weekend is Penn State. We've got Penn State, Stanford, Texas, and Florida playing over two days, and that will really determine a lot, I think, of where things are going to be in the national rankings in the coming weeks. Okay, national rankings right now, ABCA poll just out this week. Nebraska, number one, with that victory over UCLA. Texas, two. UCLA, three. Penn State, four. Southern Cal, five. Boy, a lot of really familiar names right there through the top five. Six, Hawaii. Seven, Purdue. Eight, Florida State. Nine, Stanford. Ten, Kentucky. And then there's Dayton getting up into that number 11 spot, going up above Washington. Tennessee, Iowa State, Minnesota, 16. How long do you think it's going to take Hugh McCutcheon to get himself acclimated to his team, get himself acclimated to that staff, and get Minnesota to the level that I think everyone is really expecting given uh, Hugh McCutcheon's track record? 24 to 48 hours. He's that good. <laughs> no, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be able to come in there. He's got a good staff. They've got a good nucleus. He's got two of the players that you know are picked preseason, all Big Ten. And I think his team will be very, very good. I think that they're going to be better in coming years. They'll recruit well. But they'll, they'll be a threat. I think you know Penn State and Nebraska are a little bit better right now. But by the end of the year, I think he'll have that team playing very well and have a chance to get to the Sweet 16 and make a run in the NCAA tournament because he's got some veteran people. Okay, I'm now looking outside the top 25 because there, you know there are going to be other teams like Dayton that are going to vault themselves out of there. The Ohio State, San Diego State, Carolina, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Louisville. Michigan State, Long Beach State, Cal State Northridge is in that list. How about that? What of any of those teams, or are there some other teams you can think of that might be entering the top 25 in the next two weeks? 
Well, I think if you look at that group, the biggest win of the weekend was San Diego State beating Cal Berkeley in five sets. Cal Berkeley, a veteran team in the Final Four a few years ago, and has a real strong nucleus, and they were able to go and beat them in five sets. So I think that sets a lot you know, for their team and where they're going. I, I just think right now that the top 25 is pretty well there. I think the NCAA champion is going to come from primarily the top 10 or 11 teams in the country. And I think everybody else, though, there's going to be at least three or four surprises in the Sweet 16 come December. So I think there's that much balance and parity in the AV, in the ABCA in terms of the teams that they have and the talent that they have. There's so many good players now any place in the country, plus you can go international and find an answer. Maybe like a Pepperdine who is just a couple of points short of making the Final Four last year. Yeah, they're, they're good. They got, they got a very good transfer from Illinois. They got a couple of good freshmen. But, you know, the player that's going to probably make the mis- most impact is Samantha Bricio. And she's a player out of Mexico that USC got to replace Alex Jupiter. And she was MVP of the tournament last weekend, 6-2 outside hitter. You know, the ton of power. And USC plays a Chinese college team on Tuesday night, and UCLA plays them on Wednesday. It'll be a good contrast because USC and UCLA open conference play in a couple weeks against each other on ESPNU. Good. A little bit of action. And recap that tournament that's upcoming. Give us the other things that you're looking forward to watching this week in women's volleyball. Well, I really, I, right now I'm voting Penn State number one, and I really want to see what happens this weekend. I think Stanford, which has five of the top 12 recruits in the country, will be the most improved team come December. I think that John Dunning does a great job bringing along young players. He's going to probably have three of those freshmen in the starting lineup. I'm surprised he's not running a 6-2 early in the year because he's got a really good freshman center. But I think Florida is kind of a sleeper team. They lost a lot of players last year. They're not ranked in the top ten like Mary Wise is used to. And then Texas, I think, has as much talent as anybody in the country. So when you put those four teams together this weekend, there's going to be four great matches, and it'll be interesting to see what the scores are. Let me ask you one more question. I'm looking down here. I see Illinois with a 1-2 and two start and sitting at number 19. Hambly, just one, one year now removed, just a few months removed from the Final Four appearance. Well, when you lose your two big guns on the outside, it's really the men's game is totally about pin hitters. The women's game is getting more and more that way. And when you lose your two big guns, that's a lot to replace. And Illinois is young, and they're a team that has some talent. They'll get better as the season goes along. But you can't really expect them to be right there because UCLA returns more players. Florida State returns more players. And give Nick Haley credit for reloading at SC. He lost a great setter, a great middle blocker in Jupiter, and the Trojans are right back up there ranked fifth in the country. All right, Kevin Hambly with his hands full. Also, David Niffen, his assistant coach, departing to be the head coach of the men's program over there at UCI. He'll do a great job there, too. We'll get to men's. Calling. Thanks for hanging in with us here in the evening. And we will look forward to hearing from you next week and all the great information about what's possible. Appreciate it. And let me just say that Mr. Barnett was a star at the Olympics and will be a future star in the future as the announcer of volleyball for the 21st century. This is why Sondheimer can come back anytime. <laughs> thanks, Mike. <laughs> great talking to you guys. I'll talk to you next week. All right, College Volleyball Week, ABCA. Good information. You guys don't even know anything about College Volleyball. You learned something. You just got better I just during got that better. segment. Mike, is make he makes me better. <laughs> he's, a, he's a font of knowledge. I'll tell you what. I told him about the Olympics. Uh, he's very complimentary of my performance, but I'll tell you what. The announcers are merely the point of the spear. The announcers are just the face of what is a huge team effort at any broadcast, particularly at the Olympics, when you're dealing with so many matches, you're dealing with a host broadcaster who you don't quite control, you have kind of half your own control, all the security and ridiculous restrictions that 
I snuck into your locker room one time, and it, it was like a national incident. They wanted to arrest me and throw me out of the building, and then they wanted to arrest me and throw me out of the building later for throwing a football inside of a hangar. How dare you? Yeah, inside of a hangar. No joke. Part of this thing looks like a hangar. But anyways, it's it's a far different environment to be a part of, and the support of that team, technical directors and site planners and site uh, directors and <clears throat> the graphics and our director and producer and, and all that, it takes that whole group, stats from Sondheimer and the runners and everybody, takes that whole group to really make a, a good broadcast and produce great programming. I just get to be the guy who appears in front of the camera. You get all the credit. Yeah, well, I'm like the quarterback. Well, Thunderland was quarterback. Give us one. I'm the running back. Give us one instance of like a go a go between between Sondheimer and uh, your partner. <laughs> so several times, several times, Sondheimer's keeping stats. He's keeping particularly transition stats when we were following. It's not available because the FIVB stats are pitiful at best. Oh yeah. What we're provided is not really great. At the Olympics it's better than anywhere else, but it's not great. So Sandy's keeping his own stats. Sandy is keeping his own stats. And so Sandy is is having to flash numbers at at <laughs> myself and at Sunderland with how many kills or transition swings or whatever and he's doing this stuff with the fist and the five and the four and the three and and he and Sunderland are going back and forth because Sunderland's talking. He looks over at Sondheimer and Sondheimer has like a claw and a three. And I don't know what that means. And so Paul's just going nuts. And then I forget what what it was, but Paul threw Sondheimer under the bus on air at one point. And so that was that was hilarious. Just they were getting on each other's case. I mean, they were bickering at points and I'm Sondheimer is sitting down next to Paul and I'm sitting completely on the other side, just kind of laughing as things are going wrong. I'm in the talk back back to the to our director and producer going, that's it. Someone's going out of here. <laughs> Someone's ending up upside down, down by the cameras. So, yeah, it's, <clears throat> listen, anytime you're going to work 40 matches Ugh. in 16 days, there are going to be some things that don't work out great. And I, and I have to be totally honest about our crew, our entire crew, from site director to everybody on air. It was the best crew that I've worked with at, at an Olympic Games. Best crew I've worked with in any kind of big event. Awesome. Lots of fun. Everybody willing to just kind of do the best that they could. A big change from the group we had in Beijing. And there are several members who were in Beijing who were also in this crew. But there were some folks in Beijing who just weren't getting it done. It's like, can we get a monitor? No. No, we can't get a monitor up in your, your broadcast. Just no. Like, this guy we had, Hoagie. Barry Ho- Barry Hogan, I think is his last name, but Hoagie. Hoagie, can we get him on? Oh, we'll make it happen. And it happened. And and that's important. When we're trying to get our position established in our broadcast spot with enough monitors, stats in the right spot, internet so we can use it, all those kinds of things, so we can have all that information at our at our fingertips, all that's important to making it a great broadcast. And, and his willingness to say, yes, we'll get it done, and then making it happen inside the venue – Fantastic. Nice. So, forty matches in sixteen days—that—that's—that's that's a good chunk. Were there ever moments where you were like, "Oh shoot, I got to talk right now" because I just zoned out? <laughs> there was one point. It happened once. Paul asked me a question while I was talking to the truck. I had no idea what Paul said. 
No clue. (laughs) I just sort of ignored it, and I could see Paul next to me. He's like, why aren't you answering this question? Like, what's going on? And then he came back, and he asked me again. I still had no clue what he had said because I was doing something else again. (laughs) So it became kind of a a comedic moment. I don't don't think you can go through all that time without one of those. And at one point, I I think I literally said, I have no idea what you said. Like, I don't think I said that on air, but I certainly said it when we went to break. I said, Paul, I don't know. <laughs> How do you not crack after a while? I mean, that's a lot. It's not only calling the games, but it's all the prep work before and all the stuff yeah. you have to do afterwards, too. Like, I, I want to crack just thinking about it. What happens, fortunately, with a tournament like that is it makes its own story. Like any season, when you're covering a season of something, when I'm covering a season of Supercross, by by the sixth race, I pretty much know what's going to be said. It'll take me five minutes to write down what we need to hit. Because yeah. we've done it. It's not all this research from before or last year or the year before. It's what happened last week, what happened two weeks ago that now affects this week. And that was happening. What happened two matches ago? What happened one match ago that we want to talk about? So it becomes easier. There's a lot going in. Like I, I spent hours in front of my computer getting my book established my book system, I changed the complete thing, paid $60 for paper right the day before I left, but it totally worked out. It totally worked out because my system worked a lot better. So that, that's important to have a system, and I'm always trying to refine the system that I'm using to make my life easier and make the broadcast better because then once I have that in front of me, then I can focus on some other stuff and give you smaller tidbits and analyze this and analyze that. That's where I was struggling last week with my football show. I'm trying to just hit the points. Oh yeah. So I don't have time to think about the finer things. Gotcha. And I think I think by probably the fifth week, I expect to be able to hit the finer points really well. I'll hit them more as we go this week, next week, and so on. But I think by the fifth week would be my guesstimation as to when I can start to really hit the finer points and be comfortable the way I am here. Because if you want to ask me a question about volleyball, we can kind of go six ways to Sunday. Yeah. But if you ask me about high school football. I can go one direction right now. I yeah. can't go two or three or four. It comes with experience. Yeah. What was the biggest surprise, you think, in London, just in terms of the storyline, the overall story that was developed through men or women, whatever, London? You mean the whole thing or the volleyball tournament? Because I went to a volleyball tournament. Yeah, so the volleyball tournament. <clears throat> I, I think... And that's one of the funny things I've been telling people about the Olympics, just as an aside. I come back here and people are, oh, what about this story, that story, all the things they saw. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I was no, at a volleyball I, no tournament. Man. I heard a little bit about this or that. But uh, at the volleyball tournament, biggest surprise, the the poor play of Serbia on the men's side played horribly and didn't disrespect the game but made themselves look real bad in their last match. They, they had a chance and it just looked ugly. Um, on the women's side, I thought what was unfortunate was Serbia. They were my dark horse pick a year out. Tremendous talent. They were just ravaged by injuries. Mm-hmm. Ravaged. Unlike their men's team who just sucked. Their women's team was ravaged by injuries. Uh, I think Japan delivering was was a surprise. I knew they were good. They'd been ranked as high as three. They were ranked fifth coming in. But they delivered. They got a medal. I think it's great for the sport. Yeah. Loy mentioned to me about how great it is for the the men's game and, in general, the game that Russia won the gold medal. Agree totally. I think it's also equally important that Japan do well and continue to support the sport and host big tournaments and pay rights fees and and all that stuff because the way it's run. You know, you want to go play a tournament in Japan because it's going to be well run. Long trip, 
well-run tournament. You know what's great about Japan doing so well is Mayumi, the player that did so well. I think that's her name. No. Um, Saori. Okay. I think <laughs> Kimura? Her Mayumi. She played in Russia for a year. Are you talking about the woman who played really well in the last match? Hand me my book back there, J. Rowe. It's the black. Yeah, let's bring book. out your stats book. So so she played with... Uh, yep. Oh, no. Under that. Under, under the way under that. The black, the black uh, binder. She played in Kazan uh, last season and just really struggled. And, like, I remember just... I I mean, they, they didn't treat her right at all. They They ended up not playing her forever, and then they sent her on a junior team. At, you know, she's oh, one of, down to the D League. Yeah, she's one of the two foreigners, and, and she got sent to the junior team and didn't even play on a particular trip. Oh, And I just remember thinking, like, I've seen her play. I know she's good. And I was thinking, you know, here she is coming from Japan, which is, like, uber team-oriented. You talking about Sakoda? To Russia. Do you have photos? No. Sori Sakoda, who played really well in the bronze medal match. Good arm. Mm-hmm. Real whippy arm. Hadn't played basically the entire tournament. Came in and played unbelievable in that bronze medal. Okay, no? well, I'll, I'll confirm that. Or there's Ibata. Yukiko Ibata. She was also good. She got replaced by Sakoda. Saori Kimura is their best player. No. Takashita. Setter. I need photos. Just name everybody on the team well. and read what they at some point. Point being, it was awesome to see her in her element because, yeah. you know... That's how this game is. This game, you know, put you put a player in a different environment, and and you're going to get a different outcome. Uh, it's very rare that you see, you don't see that happen. And um, you know, you could just see she was a fish out of water in Russia, and uh, I, 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 you know, especially from Japan, where they're just so team oriented and everything is about the process and and defense and covering and, and all these communication nuances in between plays. And then you go to Russia, which is very stoic, power-driven. We want to finish this point immediately. Don't make us cover. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I was stoked to see her play, but we'll, we'll confirm who that her is. Okay, you, you make a great point. I think we said years ago about Jiba. Jiba was never Jiba in his club team. He's good. He'd have a breakout performance here and there. But he never played in, in the times I played him or watched him play in his club teams. He was never as good as he was in the national team. The national team, he was unbelievable. And he's a good player in Italy, but not that good. I mean, he was very good, but not the way that you put him on the national team and just go, dude, this guy's unstoppable. i tell you my favorite part about the Olympics, obviously being a fan, but personally knowing people competing in the Olympics. And then, yeah. And, and, and also, Kevin, like listening to you, obviously I'm here with you once a week, get to know you, know your family, and then hearing you and your element, it was just a really cool thing. Nicole and I would be watching the stuff, and we would live and die every point with the men's national team. I did not enjoy watching the women's beach finals because I know all four of those players, and I, I didn't make a sound the entire match. I was yelling and jumping up in my room when Jen and April made it to the gold medal match. I had an empty Gatorade bottle, and I threw it against the wall. I was so excited, but I didn't make a sound during the beach finals. But knowing people personally playing is just, I almost feel like I was there and got to experience it through you guys. And obviously when you guys come back and get to talk to you and hear more things behind the scenes, it's just a really cool thing for me. And I um, and I don't take that for granted either. I mean, I tell a lot of people, like I have friends and family call me and ask me like, oh, what did Reed say about the Olympics when he got back? 
you know, I was like, well, it was more for me, not for you. So uh, be jealous about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, deal with that. Lock and key. That's right. What number, Reed? Number two. Oh, it's just Sutter. Takashita. Do we need photos? I got a wrong, wrong photo there. You need a headshot? Hold on. So much for the system that you paid. <laughs> well, I can't find my card again. I don't yeah. know where it went in here. I don't know how sudden. you did the Olympics if your book isn't uh, correct, Kevin. Seriously. Oh, here. Oh, wait, maybe number here one. Here there. Right there. There is no number one. <laughs> no. We need headshots? Do we need to pull it up yes. online? I don't have headshots on there. It's a black and white. So we, we need Sandy in our ear telling yeah. us exactly who we're talking about. You're throwing up the claw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll take about uh, 15 seconds to compose our thoughts. We're going to come back and talk about beach prize money. Some interesting discussions going on in the world of beach about prize money and the lack thereof or a standard that ought to be set. So the Net Live right back, last segment. Hang in there. More in a moment. You don't have to find the best college coaches. They find you at Spire Institute. Spire's postgraduate volleyball academy wants athletes. Spire delivers customized volleyball training and competition led by head coach John Hawks, athletic development with Michael Johnson performance, and educational options all in Olympic-grade facilities. There is no better way to impress college coaches and increase scholarship opportunities. Spire Institute postgraduate men's and women's programs in multiple sports. It's not taking a year off. It's adding a year to your future. Sign up today at SpireInstitute.org. Welcome back into the Net Live. We figured it out during the break. Saori Kimura, read pretty. What number is she? 18 on the national team, right? So not a three, not a one, <laughs> whatever other numbers you're throwing out uh, there. She probably was that in Russia, right? Saori Kimura, pretty much their best player. Outside hitter, unbelievable talent. Yeah, number 18 during the Olympic Games if you watch Japan play. Six foot one. Yeah, she was good. She came over for a Christmas meal, I believe it was, or New Year's with Jordan and Luke uh, Larson. And we had a ping pong table. And you know how the Japanese are, so polite. And she was watching us play for a while. And I didn't want to be like, I don't know what you'd call that. If that, I don't know if that's racist. That wouldn't be. You right. didn't want to racially profile her? I didn't her? want to racially profile her. Ethnically <laughs> profile her? But I knew. I think that would be a stereotype. I, I knew that it, she was probably phenomenal. And so I finally invited her to play. As your partner? And uh, no, we played against each other. Oh, bad move! And I started to get really <laughs> mad because she wasn't bringing her best. I could tell. <laughs> I could tell. Oh, the was, Japanese will do that. She was so polite that yeah. she would not beat me in my own house, and I was so pissed because I was like, "Look, I'm not going to get better if you hold back on me." That's right. I'm getting worse today. Were you saying that to her? Were you talking about my, my ping pong game is getting awesome. worse today? Sorry. <laughs> No, but she, you know, she struggled a little bit in Kazan, and I, I, I knew it was just a cultural thing, and, and she gets back with her comrades and, and totally plays a great Olympic game, so that was cool. Name a Japanese player who hasn't struggled outside of Japan. I mean, you know, it's a team sport, and you get you learn how to play it a certain way, especially them. I mean, they they, they have a very specific. They are the epitome of, I think, uh, of 
the unit, you know, the whole being stronger than the parts. And uh, that's how they grow up playing from, what, eight years old? They're on the court? Yeah. And so that that was a very uh, foreign thing for her to do, is to go outside of Japan, get a different experience, and play in a, a culture that's not so team-driven. make a great point about their system and the way it's driven. I remember we were there. I think you were there with me when we went to Japan on a tour, and they had a youth group out there playing. I just remember seeing kids who were eight or nine and bawling. I mean, not crying, playing volleyball at a, a level that I'd never seen kids that age play. It was amazing. Awesome. It's not even worth talking about on the radio because you could never do it justice. I mean, it, it was like mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. How good these little kids were. Awesome. They were in system. They were running a bick. Everything. And just lipping everything and communicating all over the place. It was just amazing. Amazing. Really cool to watch. If you like volleyball, go watch a a exhibition of apparently less than junior high kids wow. in, in Japan. It was amazing. Nice. Speaking of less than junior high, didn't they just win the uh, Little League World Series? I don't know. They did. Yep. A couple of parents on my football team are way in, like up at one in the morning watching Little League World Series. You guys are nuts. <laughs> and is that actually a real World Series since it's a team from Japan playing? Yes. Thank you. I think okay. we can call it a World just Championship. Throw that out there. Not like the World Championship Super Bowl. Yeah. Nobody else plays. <laughs> the Claymores are not coming over here to play. Well, if nobody else plays, don't you win the world championship? Yeah, good point. Just saying. Yeah. All right, let's talk prize money. So we're running out of time on this program. So I've heard this from a couple of places. And, Jeremy, I want you to kind of detail what you heard this weekend. But I, I have heard previously from a player direct to my ears that they are trying to hold the line on a certain dollar amount in prize money given a certain size tournament that beach players wanted to be, I don't know if it was a hundred thousand over 24 players or a hundred thousand over 32 or whatever. There's some number that has obviously been discussed by the players. And there is a figure that they wish to hit given a certain tournament size. And some of them are protesting with their feet by not playing. What did you hear this weekend that plays into that? and the appearance or non-appearance of some players. I heard that some of the Olympic teams did not play in the Manhattan Beach event because the overall prize money was not enough for them to compete. Um, winners split eleven grand this weekend, men and women. And I believe, I'm trying to find out right now, they paid out through maybe 13th, but at least prize money paid out through at least 9th. For some perspective, the FIVB, I believe, pays 30 for a win, correct? So yeah, I'm sure the Grand Slams are more like 50 or whatever, but uh, those might be 30. It might be a little less. Maybe, too. but they're they're paying more for sure. Um, some people are taking that as like, oh, the players want an appearance fee. I don't believe that. That's what they're holding out for. I think they're trying to set a standard. But players have gotten appearance fees in the past this year. NVL, Phil and Todd. Correct, and that was Phil and Todd's sponsor paying them to play in that event. Okay. Not necessarily the NVL paying them. Correct. Okay. Um, And it was interesting to hear that because Jake and Rosie played in in this tournament. So, and they're a team that were in the Olympics and couldn't, and could have taken that stance as well. Would Jen and April have done that if they wouldn't have won a medal? I don't know. And I haven't spoken to them or heard this from players directly, so I haven't heard their side of the story. What do you think they're trying to accomplish? I think they're just trying to set a standard for 
what beach volleyball professionals should be getting paid. I think it's diff in, in this climate that we're in. I think it's difficult to do that. Um, but I think when you play overseas on the FIVB that has so many regulations, like even the people that put on the tournaments, like there has to be this much amount of food. There has to be exactly this much amount of time between matches. If we say your match starts at 1 o'clock, it's not going to start 10 minutes before or 10 minutes after. It's going to start at 1. Um, I think some of these players are used to that, and they want some of those standards to come over here as well. That's why those promoters lose money. No, oh, the FIVB. That's why three events or four, three at least, maybe four were canceled this year. Well, a lot of the difference, too, is a lot of those countries, the government pays for some of these events. We don't – our government – I would be surprised if Barack knew there was a pro beach volleyball tour. In nah, the he's a basketball guy. That's true. <laughs> um, I just – I think it's more difficult, I mean, obviously, with the economy and no one domestic tour – to try to set standards. I mean, the NVL hasn't had as many events this year as they said they were going to the beginning. And can they afford? Can they can they afford to pay to pay that kind of money? Sure, if you want to keep all the prize money for the top three or four teams. But the ADP did that back in the day, and they went bankrupt then too. Is the argument that the money's there, and so it's going somewhere else? Yeah, that I don't know. They have to realize it's not there, right? There's no money there. Don't tell me the promoter's walking away with an extra fifty grand. Well, who's the promoter? I mean, Cuervo's the big sponsor of of the tour this weekend. So where's their money? Where are they getting their money from? Or is they well? Cuervo's at... selling worms in liquor. Yeah, but... they're, they're getting it by putting their name out there. You know, it's an <laughs> no. advertisement for them. But no, but where's IMG getting the money to operate the tour, and is yeah. IMG making any money? I think given our – I would love to have another conversation with James. Given our conversation with James about last year, I don't think they're making any money. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not in touch with the situation at all, but just as an observer and hearing what you're telling me now, I, I wonder if a, a more logical way would be a percentage of, of t overall money. Because if you're looking for an actual dollar amount and the money's not there – now, if they're saying if the money is there and it's going towards the promoter or it's going towards, you know, other, it's being allocated in some other place other yeah. than prize money, um, that that's one thing. But if the money's just not there, then I don't know. I, I don't you can't, see. Can't ask for money that's not there. Yeah, you yeah. can't ask for money that's not there. And at the end of the day, you've got a very reputable company, IMG, mm -hmm. putting on this event that, from all signs, was was great yep. and it's going to be on NBC. I mean that that right there NBC is NBC. That's it. That sounds like a very successful event. I like your idea about percentage. I thought, oh, there's a good idea, and then I thought through it. Here's the problem: IMG's not telling Casey what they're making. Casey Patterson. Or any Casey, any Casey, any Casey on tour. <laughs> I was trying to think of those two guys that when I showed up, I was like, "Who?" But <clears throat> they're they're not exposing that information to everybody and saying, "Okay, we'll just negotiate a piece of the pie with these folks." No way. You know, the only reason the NFL exposes their revenues and there's a revenue sharing on a percentage basis. Do you know why that happens? Because there's a a union. Because the union 
has all the players, and there won't even be a tournament or a game in football. There will not be a game of football that is reasonable that people will watch. They've tried it, right, with Scabs, 1988. Didn't work. Didn't work. So the union has a product that they have banded together and packaged and can control. When I came on tour in 2004 as the DJ, I was in shock that there was not a union. Only because just coming, you know, seeing football, basketball, baseball, that stuff, that there was not a union. And volleyball is a beach volleyball is definitely a different animal for sure. But I was surprised. There was a push to get a union in 06. Yep. Probably cost J Ring more money than he would ever admit to. Or maybe less money than he would tell us he lost. But <laughs> either way, the, there was a lot of acrimony then. And unfortunately, I think the – well, we've talked about this at length. We don't need to get into it. But the the interests of the top four players do not align with the interests of the rest. Of course. And there isn't a broad enough uh, – there isn't a broad enough opportunity with enough players making enough money to provide you enough people to really have a union and enough people and enough voices to say, wait a second, I'll take a, I'll take – Ten grand less up front to have the strength of a union and perhaps something later, or whatever the number is. I mean, put however many zeros you want on it. Uh, there, there isn't a, a union, so there's no way Cuervo is ever going to tell anybody what they're making if they don't have to. And the players, there's no way they're going to unionize because you don't even make any money at this point. I also think though that if Cuervo or IMG or whoever was making a lot more money, they'd be more than happy to give more money to the players. Because you want... Yeah, because it would look better for their tournament if it was a $300,000 tournament or a $500,000 payout. It it benefits them to have that out there as the image that this is big time. Of course. And, of course, you want Carrie and Misty, if Misty would still play at this event. You want Jen and April at this event. You want Phil and Todd. You, they want right. them there. Right. Know? There's a reason why it used to be the Cuervo Million Dollar King of the Beach or whatever. You know, that was part of the title. Yeah. Right? <laughs> There's a reason why it's not part of the title now. Yeah. Because eleven grand is oh you make eleven grand for playing beach volleyball in the week. Yeah, but you can't win that eleven grand without working for the last five years of your life to be good at this sport to win five and a half thousand dollars if you're lucky enough to win the whole thing. Yeah, and then at the top level too. I mean, people have personal trainers, they have nutritionists. I mean, that stuff is expensive. People have people. All the stuff that the NBA guys get in the locker room for free. And that travel with the team on the private jets, beach volleyball players are paying for themselves. I always wanted a stretching guy. Saw Jamal Mashburn had like a stretching guy. I want a stretching guy. I want a table that stretches own, for me. My own guy. How many players, uh, how many teams and players this weekend were, would you call professional? Yeah. And not, not in a, not in a, um, a slight sort of negative yeah, way, but just in terms of volleyball supporting their lives. Full time. 100%. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I mean if maybe the top 4 teams on each side maybe what about the winners? That's a question I have for Sean and John. How are you making any money? They're making money. What sponsors? Sean said he lost all his sponsors on the show. They have uh Cuervo is a sponsor over there. Okay. Um, I think Zinko is a sponsor of theirs as well. Zinko, yeah. Yeah. Coconut water, yeah. 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 Um, 
I'd have to refresh my memory of what tattoos they had on their arms, but uh, those are the two major ones that I remember I seeing. Saw, I saw John in a Zico shirt. Yeah. Um, but it, it's tough, that's for sure. I mean, but and then it, let's say you throw Carrie back in the mix, Jane and, April, Jane and April back in there, and they're playing in these tournaments, so they're bumping that fourth team off that list of making it full-time. I think I saw, I think it was in Dig Magazine, I was flipping through during the tournament that Jenny Kropp was saying how she's, you know, making a living at beach volleyball right now, but if that changes, she'll see what happens. But she's focused on it full-time. And I remember her being on the show not too long ago where she'd gotten a quote-unquote real job. I think it was maybe a year or two ago um, because she wasn't making a living at beach volleyball. Casey played indoor. Yeah. Says it's hard. Patterson. Says he, (laughs) we asked him six months ago, less than that, how are you making ends meet? Ah, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and I think then, and they've had some success. When he came on after the indoor season, he was like, "I'm done" because his body hurts. And then right. we had him on a couple weeks ago when he blew up the show. When we right. knocked us, when he right. knocked us off air, he was saying that he's probably going back to play indoor again. It, Reed makes the point though. I think you make the point perfectly. This is not money that's going elsewhere to someone else's pocket. This is money that doesn't exist. This is money that if it's a business for IMG and they plan on making money, which let's be honest, IMG is not out there to break even or lose cash. This is not a philanthropic effort. IMG is not a philanthropy. IMG is a company that goes out there to make money. Of course. They deserve to make money for their efforts. They have to pay James to hang banners. <laughs> they, have to, they have to pay for all this stuff. You know, the TV costs money. I mean, that. They need to make money, and then the players can get a little bit. The interesting part would be is how does how does James and his team view the weekend? Did they view it as a success? The vibe that I got from them, yes. I didn't get to speak to James. I saw James during the finals on Sunday, but I got to speak to him a little bit on Saturday. And you know, he you could tell he was in a good mood. The staff always seemed in a good mood. Um, from what it looked like to me, and I have a unique perspective because I get to talk to some people behind the scenes and the players as well. And just from my own point of view of being around so long, it looked like a successful event for sure. And we need to get James back on the show maybe in the next couple of weeks to talk about it. Maybe we can we can get him right before the Huntington event if that's their next event, or is it is it Cincy? Huntington. The Huntington's their next. No, AVP event. is Cincy. Cincy's eight. There's two. Cincy Santa Barbara AVP, right? There's two AVP of AVP events coming up and NBL. Two more NBL events coming up and one more uh, Cuervo event. So if those players drew the line in the sand, decided not to go, yet the the event was a success in the eyes of the person who was putting the event on, it was packed yep. in Manhattan. Names are being put on the pier. Multiple times. And it's going to be broadcast on NBC. That sounds like a success, and it went on without those people who drew their line in the sand. That's not a very strong arguing point for them not coming to the game to to show up. Any of those people who drew the line in the sand, come or don't come, to exactly your point. I don't think anyone in that group. I don't think any one individual player matters at this point. I would like to hear from one of them too to see their side of the story as well. I mean, my thought too is, out of all the players who didn't play this weekend for this reason, and I like I said, I didn't talk to them. It's just what I heard. How many of them are going to be around in four years? So are they? Who are they doing this for? Would their argument be they're doing this for the players now? You know, or are they yeah, doing yeah. it for themselves? You know, because Todd's not going to be around in four years. I'm sure their argument would be that they're doing it for the future of the game. 
I'm I'm sure that's what they would tell yeah. you. Um, <laughs> I think the event when you talk about a success from James's perspective, and this is just gleaned from the the folks I've talked to, James and other people in other similar event type businesses. James's measure of success, I think, is is based on two big things, and then the bottom line is a whole different discussion. But I think you're talking about atmosphere and crowd. But I think you're talking about sponsor activation and sponsor interaction with the crowd. So the climbing tower, the Cuervo, whatever they were doing, serving speed stuff, the food being given away. And and is that sponsor activation giving value to the sponsors who have paid IMG money to be on site or paid IMG money for signage and advertising and placement in ads and those sorts of things? That is where the measure of success will come for IMG and also the dollars in the end of the day discussion of is, did this thing pencil for us? Do we want to continue to pursue it as a property? Has nothing to do with the players. And when I say there isn't a player that matters, what I mean is you can stay home. Someone else will take your spot. The event will go on. The crowd will be there. Maybe the activations will happen or won't, but those activations happening or the crowd showing up is not predicated upon your participation, your individual participation. The event is no better or worse. There are no more tickets sold or lost or not sold, or at least not a measurable number because you showed up or somebody else with their parents, friends, buddies, fiance showed up with their people. Who's moving the needle? Nobody in that sport right now. The only couple that could aren't together. Correct. The only people that I, and this is always my measuring stick, is when you play on center court, how big of a crowd do you bring with you? Carrie and Misty, especially after um, Athens, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, they're the first match playing a qualifying team that is probably scared out of their mind or super stoked that they're about to lose to Carrie and Misty. There was a crowd there at 8 o'clock in the morning. There wasn't that crowd there at 8 o'clock in the morning this Saturday. Nope. I was there at 8 o'clock in the morning. Because it, even if Phil showed up with Todd, wouldn't matter. Correct. Even if Carrie showed up without Misty, I don't think it matters. I think if Misty shows up without Carrie, I don't think it matters. I think you need them both. Well, I always remind people, they'll come, they're like, oh, the live stream on Saturday or whatever. They're like, oh, there's like that many people in the stands. Well, there's 10 courts outside of stadium courts, so not all the fans who are there are sitting in the stadium. It's not like a basketball arena or uh, a football stadium where every, there's just one game that they're watching. So I think it's tough to measure some of that stuff, but like I said, Carrie and Mystery were the only ones that brought that crowd every single time. This is the point at which someone in the old school volleyball side of Facebook posts some picture from 1987 where there's 50,000 people spilling out over the stands and around the courts and whatever else. Don't post it right now. Don't. Don't send it. I don't care. That's not the reality. Billy Berger, this is not the cover of 1984 Sports <laughs> Goods Manufacturers. All right, dude. It's not 84 anymore. It's not 92. It's not 93. It's 2012. And let's be honest about the discussion. And if you're a beach player who's going to vote with your feet, which I support your right to do, if you're going to vote with your feet, I think you're going to have a hard time getting results, the results you want, because I don't think your lack of participation or even the top 10 players' lack of participation 
is going to somehow affect the success or failure for the promoters of these events. Or Cuervo in in, in Manhattan in yeah. particular. Well, yeah, in Manhattan Beach, you're going to get a crowd regardless. Yeah, and in Chicago, you're going to get the crowd you're going to get. It's not driven by the winners. I mean, Casey, I love Casey. He's not driving participation right now yet. I'd go watch him. Well, yeah. But how about how many people is that? I mean, yeah, I might have 10, 15 people that get excited. I like the way Casey plays. I enjoy it. I enjoy that interaction as a volleyball person, as a volleyball fan. But I don't think it moves the needle, the proverbial needle. Well, as a player, too, if you just came back from the Olympics or an international event, and the most you could win at this event is 5,500. I mean, 55, I mean, it's all relative. There could be burnout, sure. Yeah. 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 You know, I think think it goes back to uh, there is a need for a union. And and when I say that, I envision a professional union, not a kick and scream till we get our way. Because to be honest with you, it doesn't seem like there's a lot to kick and scream for right now. Yeah. And so I think that there needs to be a collective voice that works hand in hand around the the table in these business discussions uh to see beach volleyball grow and and I would I would hope a guy maybe like Todd Rogers when he is done playing if that's 2 years or that's 4 years or 6 years down the road that uh that somebody like him who's made his money and and done his stuff and uh could come back and and uh, maybe lead the way, lead the charge, because he's been there and done that. He's He knows what to, to look out for, the pitfalls, um, and, and maybe we can organize uh, and see an organized player union where they could start looking out for things like insurance and and, and job security, you know, in, in ways that they can control. But, you know, as it stands right now, it just seems like there's too many competing agendas and, and not enough to go around. Yeah, rats after the last piece of cheese reminds me of the national team back in '97, the 2000 era when things were rough for that team. It was it was tough. We have a caller who's been on hold for 27 minutes, and I apologize because I didn't look over there. Maybe they're just listening. Hopefully. Uh... No, it's your Mac. <laughs> Hello. Yes, go ahead. Nine seventeen. Hey, Vinny Lopes here from Off the Block. How are you guys doing? See, we could have left Vinny on hold for 45. Sorry. He's still been. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, I don't blame you. you know, it's late enough in the night I figured I could call in with some college men's volleyball stuff so I wouldn't kill your ratings too bad. Good Lord. <laughs> Five people just went right out the chat board. But... <laughs> well, just want to call some interesting news that um, actually broke in the last couple of weeks. There hasn't been a whole lot of news going on, but just some um, tidbits that I thought might be interesting um, for you guys to know. First off, Andrea Baker, the sports psychologist at UC Irvine, is joining John Spry at UCLA, so she's making that transition. That's going to be a pretty big interest move. And the other two interesting notes also, just to fill everyone in on, Penn State is going back to Hawaii in the upcoming season. They're going to be playing the Outrigger Invitational after not playing it last year. And the other three teams in that tournament is going to be UCLA, Hawaii, and Ohio State. And then the third bit of news also is Mount Olive has named a new coach in David Heller, who played over professionally in Europe and was also an assistant coach in Lewis. And why this is interesting is because Mount Olive, one of the two premier teams in the Conference Carolinas, and starting in 2014, 
that's going to be a conference that's getting an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So, so I give a call and just give the quick breakdown and kind of some of the um, news going on in the college men's volleyball world. Wait a second. An automatic bid out of what conference and how many teams? The, right. The Conference Carolinas, starting in 2014, the Conference Carolinas, which um, consists of powerhouse volleyball conferences such as Pfeiffer, Lise McRae, um, Braden College, Belmont Abbey, they're going to get an automatic bid to the Final Four or the NCAA tournament because they have 16. Wait. They have 16 down in their conference. So starting in 2014, they are going to have an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. They're taking away the at-large. Are we talking about NCAA or NCAA Division III? We're talking about NCAA Division I, Division II. This is, and this is kind of the intriguing thing right now going on because with the way it's set up, Basically, the NCAA has a ticking time bomb on their hands because if they they have a couple options. One option is they cannot expand the tor- they don't expand the tournament, and you basically eliminate the at-large bid, so you would only have four automatic qualifiers coming. You would have one team from the West Coast. You would have your EIVA, MIVA, and, and then a Conference Carolina team, and then the and then the other option is that they come up with some way of expansion, whether that's keeping the one at large making a five team tournament with a with basically a playing game or doing something else or expanding it possibly out to eight. So it's kind of some intriguing news and it's stuff that the NCAA is going to have to figure out within a year because starting in two thousand fourteen the conference Carolinas is coming in which and all honesty, no knock to those teams, you know, in you know, down there, but they're gonna probably get get rolled their first couple of years in that NCAA tournament. Okay, if if they go through with this and the conference Carolinas gets out of the bid and they keep it at four. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. Well, well, I completely agree. I mean, it's, you know, and when you think about it, they have kept the NCAA tournament has been at four teams since its inception in 1970. They've yet to expand it. The fact that they, that they haven't expanded out is just completely head scratching, especially when you now have enough teams joining in. Right, you have enough teams playing. You've had tremendous growth at the Division Three level to the point where it's a national championship sanctioned by the NCAA. The interest is there. There's no way anybody can campaign against that unless Nina comes on the show again and says there's no interest in your sport, which I didn't appreciate. Sure. You, Nina, that was ridiculous. Uh, right, oh, right. It, oh, 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 sorry. If this actually portends an expansion to eight, and this is the, the harbinger of that, or this is the beginning of that, then, hey, Welcome, Mount Olive. Scene uh, because if that makes it eight and they have an automatic qualifier out of that conference, fantastic. Because eight makes a whole lot more sense than four. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. And you know, one thing that I, you know, and I've had, you know, obviously it's the off season, so you know, I have a lot of time on my hands to, to think. You know, I've, I've been floating around this idea. Of, you know, I just want to get your thoughts about it. You know, and you guys are on the West Coast, so you know this. You know, the MPSF is such a strong conference, and you have such a top-heavy conference. But there's schools in there, Pacific, UC San Diego, Cal Baptist, that realistically they know that they have no chance at all of ever making it to a Final Four or getting it at large. They would have to run the table, do something crazy. How completely off the wall would it be if you would have those three schools, your Pacific, UC San Diego, Cal Baptist, find three other schools, whether it's a Grand Canyon, maybe two other schools like a Cal State Northridge or UC Santa Barbara, and they were to leave the MPSF and bring back the, the Weva, 
have the six teams to get the automatic bid, and then they could get their, uh, then they would have an automatic bid and not have to go up against USC, UCLA, UC Irvine, all those top teams to get an at-large to get the a bid to the NCAA tournament. I think you would actually see that happen if you had eight teams and you had more AQs, yeah. you had automatic qualifiers. You could actually have that occur because the MPSF right now is too big. Let's be honest, it's, oh, yeah. it's two divisions. It's way too large. Uh, there's too many teams playing in that conference. I think the only way you're going to get a lot of other schools having an, a realistic opportunity to succeed in the tournament, and you're going to destroy the top-heavy nature of the UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, Irvine now in that conversation, BYU, Hawaii kind of thing. The only way you're going to get rid of that is if you start to offer scholarship support at these other schools. I think that's one of the things I, I'm not sure of the funding level for UCSD, but I don't think it's high, if at all. Uh, I, I don't have that information in front of me, but my guess is that it still isn't all that high. And when you're talking about four and a half scholarships, it's not enough scholarships, but that's never going to change. If you could have, say, 15 or 20 schools offering four and a half or maybe 30 schools nationwide, that would change the landscape a little bit because now I'm looking at a full ride to Mount Olive or paying Forty grand a year at Pepperdine, and that may move some people to these other schools. Yeah. No, and, and I agree with you on that. It, like I said, it's a real interesting time right now in college men's volleyball, just because you have, you know, basically this expansion, which is happening, interestingly enough, in the southeast with the Conference Carolinas, and they keep adding teams, adding teams. It's not the, you know, exciting teams like in Nebraska or Illinois or Michigan, which would be great if they added, but it's, you know, a school like Coker and Belmont Abbey are just building up these programs with the thought in mind that, you know, hey, we have a chance to get to the to get to the final four if we can win the conference Carolinas right now. Vinny, interesting stuff. I can tell you have a lot of time on your hands because you're calling this show, but we appreciate it. Uh, no problem. Keep up the great work. Enjoy enjoy listening to you guys. Vinny com. You gotta check him out. All kinds of information, anything you want about the world of men's volleyball. You've come to the end of another fantastic Net Live, and I don't get to say that every time. I say great Net Live, but I think this was a, a one with a lot of discussion in it, and I hope a lot of things that pique your interest and get you thinking about the sport, whether you're a beach person, an indoor person, whoever you are, talking about national team head coaches, talking about beach prize money, talking about the Manhattan Open, talked about all kinds of different things. Mike Sonheimer on, going with the College Volleyball Weekly, so many different angles you can take inside the sport of volleyball. I hope we're bringing you some new stuff to go along with your own particular sphere of volleyball interest. We hope that you tune into this program again. We will have a show next week, probably on a Monday, and then we'll get back into a regular rhythm with Mondays once my kids go back to school. They're out of school for another two weeks. I don't know who scheduled this whole program. Yeah, your son said like September 10th. 10th. We're trying to take advantage of this, though. We're going up to Jim Hawley, ride some motorcycles next nice. tomorrow. It'll be fun. It'll only be 105 in the Valley. It'll be lovely. Good times. Uh, but interact with us, thenetlive at gmail.com, and get on our Facebook page. And listen, we want to drive some traffic to that Facebook page. So if you can get your friends, family, coworkers, teammates, anyone at the AAU Rec League you play in to uh, tune us in once in a while, comment on us, whether they hate us, love us, or otherwise, it doesn't matter to me. We love trolls here on the Net Live. Thanks to Spire. Thanks to the AVCA. Thanks to everyone who supports this program. Hurley, Volleyball Mag, all the folks that uh, have made this program possible over the years. And thanks to Reed Pretty for making the journey up. And thanks to DJ Roche for holding it down all the time. Big boy seat. All right. I'm Kevin. 
He's Jeremy. The other guy is Reed. We'll see you for the Net Live next week. Let your head